Welcome back everybody, it's part two of our super special New Year, Christmas and Festivus edition. Let's continue where we left off. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you're an idiot. Go back, listen to it, and then come back here. Have a good one. Yeah, let's do one or two other ones. Um, do you want to do some book ones? Yeah, we are booky people. We okay, like we are bookish. Books. We're bookish. We're nerds. We like to read. Yeah. Um, so we've got. I think we've got two novel questions. So the one I don't actually have a legitimate answer for, but I'm going to ask you what your novel of the year is. Published 202021. Um, this was a difficult one because it turns out that I didn't really um, yeah. read a lot yeah. of recently published novels. This Recent, year. I have the same problem. I, I, I kind of reread my library this year, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got lots of books I have never read, which has been on my bookshelf for ages. And, um, you know, that's just been the way it is. Yeah. Don't you want to start, man? <laughs> um, I can. Look, I only have one even close contender because the books i'm reading are all from like you know decades ago at the moment but you have one which actually um, was published this year i take it no i don't i've got one that was published in 2006 is that the latest book you can master <laughs> well 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 the english translation was published in 2014 and mm. that's the closest i can get well that's okay that's hey, within do, earshot do, do you I think guess. it's fair it's cl- it's like yeah like i can still see 2014 hmm does it count? Can I go ahead with it? Man, I don't see why not. Okay, fuck it. All right, so I'm going to go with um, the – the, and this is not high praise because I only read one kind of book that was even close to this mm. decade this year. But it was The Three-Body Problem by oh, um, nice. Lucy Shin. I've, yeah. I have read I read it when it came out, so yeah. Oh, well, then you're literally a decade ahead of me. Yeah, I, I believe the rights to either movie or TV series have recently been sold. I think Netflix has got it actually, mm, so we'll mm. see. We'll see where that goes. Um, but yeah. that, you're referring so to that, the first novel in the three part series, I think. Yes, there's, 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 uh, yeah, there's three of them. Yeah, I, I haven't read the first I haven't one. Is called the the second body or the third. Yeah, then there's the Dark Forest, and then mm. there's the third one. I don't know what it is. Mm. Um, look, I, to be entirely honest, I know that there is like a rabid fan base oh, for yeah. the three body problem. It's like. People are insane about this book. And it, it um, started off the recognition of Chinese science fiction as being a real force, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, look, that wasn't really something that in, has ever entered into my mind when it comes mm. to reading sci-fi as like, you know, what's the provenance of this book? Sure. Um, but I do know that it's been a problem for for Eastern fiction to mm. penetrate the Western market. So, I, 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 you know, I do understand that. Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, you know, I... It, it was a good book for what it was, but I, 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 I did not see the massive, massive appeal of this book. No, I agreed. Really, I mean, really there's some so. very contrived <laughs> plot sequences. There's, there's some ludicrous shit, yeah. dude. Like, not even, and it's not even hard sci-fi ludicrous. It's mm. just ludicrous. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found the best parts of the book to be when they were recounting life in um, in communist China. Yeah. You know, I thought the the parts that weren't super mm. hard sci-fi where they are unfolding the individual atoms of a or the individual protons of an atom which is very exciting but you know it, at, at the end of the day it didn't really contribute to the story very much at all mm. um and the the characterizations were atrocious uh stereotypes yeah very yeah. much like so, early uh, asimov 
Yeah, it, it actually was. It was like people who've never actually spoken to anybody writing characters, mm. you know. And as and Asimov suffers from that as well, you know. Yeah. He just build. He just gives. He gives dialogue a name, True. and that's and that's kind of what uh, Lucian Shu. I, mm. I, I don't want to massacre his name. Mm. So so yeah, that was probably the mm. best book but of closest read. to twenty twenty one. Yeah, very fun. Yeah, very, it's very sort fun. of obviously the the titles of the books and all topic of the series is about the whole Fermi paradox of. You know, why haven't we discovered intelligent life out there yet? Yeah, so that's the the, the dark forest is the is the Fermi paradox uh, illusion. You know, yeah. like um, the great are we, are, are, Yeah, are we are we in a are we in a dark forest where no one can reach us mm. or something like that? You know, but the three body problem is very specific. Well, that and the like, idea of a child at the edge of the forest shouting into it. And and no one being able to and not knowing what's inside the forest. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 what's what's yours? Because I, I like I said I have I have yeah. mixed feelings about three body problems. So mine was published this year, and it is by C J Carey, who is more known for her sort of um, cozy detective stories and police procedural novels. Very prolific author, actually. She's been writing novels since forever, and um, but this is her first foray, I think, into sci-fi. And it's it's a form of sci-fi I have a great affection for, and in fact, um, I'm currently trying to write my own novel in that genre, which uh-huh. is alternate history and sort of secret history type of subgenre. And this is a, a set in a alternate history which has been visited many times by many authors, which is you know what if the Nazis won the war, and uh-huh. it's, it's set in Britain during the 1950s, 1960s. And it's called Widowland by C.J. Carey. Really good book. Um, I mean, the conceit is that that Britain is basically, you know, something like eighty percent female because most of the men have died in the war, or been or or shipped out to various labor um, camps in Eastern Europe and so on to build the the Reich, you know. And and so it's it's predominantly female driven. And um, the the protagonist here is working in a ministry which is steadily re writing all the classic English novels like Jane Eyre and, you know, everything. Did you, have you, did you use the term Orwellian? It is Orwellian, very much. Because that sounds Orwellian as shit. Oh, yeah, it's, it's very Orwellian. And, and it's, you know, she is, yeah, she's, she's retruthing the old novels to make them consistent with Nazi ideology, you know, where there are no rebellious women, there are no, no rebellious uh, ideas against the state and so on. There's no personal freedom uh, there's sure. no there's no Jewish uh, ideology, you know, and so on. So, and she works for one of these ministries, and and the novel sort of continues where she gets an uh, undercover assignment and starts discovering very disturbing things, obviously, about the society that she has been uh, living in. But it's a cool okay. novel if you like alternate histories in the same style as Harris's Fatherland, and um, I mean, there's so many others. I can yeah, Man, Man in High Castle kind yeah, of. Yeah, Man in High Castle, and all those really cool. What if alternate history uh, sci-fi's? Give it a try, Widowland. Okay, well that's going on my list. I'll definitely give that a go. Mm, very well I written. To, I mean, Kerry is I one need, of those. I need to read something from this decade at some <laughs> hey, point. Probably should. I mean, Kerry is one of those authors because I think she has published so many novels in in both the detective and cozy sort of genres. She knows how to write. You know, immediately upon starting to read, you know, you're in a safe hand. It's an accomplished author. Yeah, it's comfortable. Yeah, it, it flows. Everything is just well constructed. Um, the next one, mm. the next category, best old novel read this mm. year. So this is a, a novel which was published prior to 21. And um, 
you know, something you've read. I mean, uh, and I'm, we're going to ignore the fact that I've already answered that question with three body problem. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, and this is not a reread. I think this is like a new read for me. Yes, yeah, yeah. The first time you've read an hmm. old book. Yeah, yeah. So mine comes from two thousand three. It was published in two thousand three, and it's not a. It's not a. I guess it's it's what technically referred to as literary fiction. But I don't give a shit for that stuff. It's just a good novel. <laughs> um, was nominated, but I think did not win the Man Booker, and that's usually a sign of you know having been um, you know in that sort of uh, rarefied air. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's 2003. It's by Tibor Fisher, and it's called Voyage to the End of the Room. It's a lovely right. novel. I mean, I would I would put it in the class of magic realism. So it's it's sci-fi adjacent. And um, Thibaut Fisher is was at the time a darling of the British sort of young and restless um, authors, along with Martin Amos and those sort of guys. And um, Voyage to the End of the Room is great. It's it's about a person who, and I guess maybe it gravitated towards my current lifestyle because it's this the, the protagonist is someone who does not leave her room. <laughs> she lives in her room. She's she she made. Lots of money in, in software development. Very, very appropriate. Marshall. Yeah, very so she doesn't leave her room. And she. what's interesting about uh, – it's in two parts. The one part of the novel is how she she keeps on getting these love letters from a from an old admirer who she believes is dead. And so she she hires this adventurer in a way, this, this English guy who's been around and done weird things, to be her proxy. So he goes and investigates this mystery on her behalf. And she sort of lives vicariously through his journey. Um, that's that's the smaller part of the novel. The larger part of the novel is as she recounts her days as a, a student traveling and living in Italy. I think Italy. Yeah, Italy. And, and she lives in this commune of other near-do-wells who all have their own stories and weirdness. It's a lovely novel. I mean, it, okay. it captured my okay. attention. I'm basically almost read it in one sitting, one afternoon. It's definitely a very rewarding novel. Tibor Fisher has some acclaim. You know, he's written other. This is not his yeah. most acclaimed novel. Um, yeah, I think his most acclaimed novel is called "Don't Read This If You're Stupid," which is probably the best title of a novel ever. Yeah, that actually sits very well. But the uh, voyage to the end of the room, well worth picking up. Okay, all right. Um, mine would be. Um, I I read for the first time uh, an acclaimed fantasy trilogy. Um, it's now expanded far more than a trilogy, um, but at the time it was a trilogy mm. um, by uh, probably the most prolific fantasy author of the last kind of 15, 20 years. Um, he actually finished the Wheel of Time for Robert Jordan when Robert Jordan died. Oh, wow. Um, Brandon Sanderson. Right. And um, he wrote – this was his um, – I think it, it was his first trilogy. He wrote one or two books before this, and then he wrote the Mistborn trilogy. Mm. Um, which is just very exceptional. Um, not high fantasy, you know, it's not like yeah. elves and dragons I, and shit. I picked but up it is. the first Mistborn novel and couldn't get into it. Um, you know what, it is a little bit, uh, because he kind of creates his own archetypes. Right. Um, it's his own magic system. It's his mm. own kind of laws of magic. It does take you a little bit to kind of get where he's going. Um, the first book is probably the poorest because it's got to do all the setup. Um, book two and book three, especially book Brandon Sardison is actually very well known for one particular thing, which is that after about 3000 pages, he suddenly in like three pages brings like 20 disparate plots all together that you didn't see coming. Okay. And it's this, and it's this massive moment of awakening where you go, holy shit. 
and he's very, very, very good at that. Yeah. And um, um, and yeah, the Mistborn trilogy does exactly that. You kind of mm. you kind of go what? Um, okay, but your your novel is not that. That's not the one you're picking. That's that's it. That's what I'm picking. The oh, entire picking trilogy, that. the Mist, the, oh, the okay. Mistborn trilogy. I'm picking the Mistborn trilogy by Brandon Sanderson. Mm. I think, um, like most fantasy novels, for me at least, it takes me several readings to get into them. I'm not someone who um, naturally gets into fantasy very easily. That th- that must be tough on you because a lot of them are very long, so you're going to be doing a lot of wasted reading. Yeah, I know. But on that topic, actually, one of my my near novels in this category, which I might have also picked, which is a fantasy novel, but it was released in 2010, is Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin. And she is a magnificent author. She's an incredible, incredible writer. She's almost become a professional winner of awards because she keeps on winning Hugos, Nebulas, Locus. Yeah. And yeah. still isn't very well known. No. 100,000 Kingdoms outside, is Outside fantastic. of fantasy realms, you know? No. I don't know. if have you read that? 100,000 Kingdoms? I haven't. No. no. I've read some of Jemison's other stuff. This one is great. I mean, it's, it's about the gods walking alongside mortals. And the, the great conceit of this novel, which I've never seen before, is how... The story is that this tyrannical human dictatorship basically have mm. have taken the gods and made them their servants, and the gods are helping them under duress. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's the conceit of the story. It's a magnificent story. It, it breaks so many tropes of fantasy, you know, head on that yeah. you you keep on reading because it's like every new chapter is like I can't believe she's doing this. I can't believe she's doing this. Oh shit, she's doing it. You know, it's like amazing. She's got two other uh, trilogies or duologies or whatever it is. Um, there's one that she's done called the Broken Earth series. Yeah. Um, which I, which I've read the first book of, and I haven't picked up the others mm. yet. Um, but she's a great, great yeah. author. I mean, like there's she's got a new series um, out now where cities are, are sort of sentient, personified, almost like a bit of like American Gods like. Um, is that series. not like uh, there's a there's a young adult series where the cities um, mortal engines? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's a different author. Okay, but I mean, that's that's still a very particular kind of crazy idea that these cities are roaming the landscape, eating other cities. Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, Jemison just writes it more on contemporary, uh, it's called the Great Cities series. And the first one was called The City We okay. Became, which is set in New York. Um, and I believe there's more to, to come. Okay, very interesting. Mm. All right. Okay, cool. Let's um, let's hit a beer, bro. Let's hit a beer. Let's hit a beer. Okay, now I'm going to randomly select no, no, another no, one. No, 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 sorry, sorry. I don't know if you heard me. I said, let's hit a beer, bro. Is that a reference? No, it's not a reference, but you can't just then go, yeah, let's hit a beer. You've got to be like, yeah, bro, let's hit a beer. All right. Yeah, bro, like, let's totally hit one, man. But first I've got to, like, you know, just do a few reps, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking pretty swole today, Marcel. Deck as fuck. Pretty deck as fuck. Uh, please pick a beer before I go even okay. more into gym so culture. So actually, we, we have the Kennel Brewery, which is one of the ones you mentioned earlier, Matt, in terms of design. Yes, 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 And yes. it is their Love Buzz New yes. Year IPA. Weirdly enough, the, the, this is one of the things I really, really like about the branding on this can, is that it is very, very similar to the actual album artwork okay. of Peach. It's I do remember the album. Very, it's no, a very right. cool reference. Not 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 the heart so much as, I mean, the lyrics of Love Buzz make reference to his heart. Right. Um. But um. But the the font is a very Nirvana font. The black and white, the kind of monotone, mm. the inversion of the thing. That's the. If you look at the album cover to Bleach, that is like spot on. It's such a gotcha. reference. Beautifully yeah, done. Look, I'm obviously a, a typical Nirvana person who I only started listening to them after Nevermind, but. 
Yeah, yeah. You, you've got three copies of Unplugged in New York and nothing else. I actually do not like that very much, no. <laughs> then you are not the typical Nirvana no. fan. It's making you seem like a dumbass. So my favorite Nirvana album, Matt, is In Utero. I, I totally fan. didn't edit out in post things which I said which made me look like a noob. <laughs> dear uh, listener, you will only have to guess at the things which I'll never show you. Yeah, yeah. Love Buzz, Matt. New England IPA for the kennel. I'm a little bit wary of the Kennels beers, I have to be honest. Full disclosure, oh, really? I've had some. Haven't enjoyed any of them, to be quite honest. Um, so this is supposed to be a New England IPA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is right in our wheelhouse. It is in our wheelhouse. So it's 5.5% ABV. It's got uh, barley, hops, and oats. Oats is the typical grain you'll add for a New, New England IPA to add that haziness because oats has a lot of protein, um, no. which will, will add the haziness. Please ask the Kennel Brewery, Please, 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 fix the alignment on your logo. Please, 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 please. That's all I wanted to say. All right. How does that look like for you? Right. So let's see. Um, I am pouring mine now. Maybe you should start us off. Well, it's a, it's actually it's a lovely kind of relatively clear, very uh, like a light golden color, um, almost like a Pilsner type color. Nice head. Yeah, this is more straw. Strawish color. I'm getting the familiar kind of grapefruity nose. Um, there's a good lacing as well. Um, it, it looks fine to me. Smells fine to me. There's a little bit of a, on the nose, a bit of an acerbic bitterness. More than a, you know, kind of a, 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 a hoppy bitterness. I'm just wondering what that might be. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bluntness to the bitterness here, aroma-wise. Actually, a very clean aroma for an IPA. I mean, uh, I get a little bit of lemon, maybe. Sort of a general, sort of unspecified tropical aroma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. That's kind of what I'm getting. It's just a not not as much dankness, but not unpleasant. It's not no. an unpleasant head. Very clean. There's a slight herbaceous note in a way. Okay, so let's let's uh, taste this puppy. I, I think, I mean, I'll start us off now. I mean, very bitter, definitely. Mm. There's a... And very much the sort of early kettle yeah. um, bitterness, which you don't get a lot of yeah. flavor, but a lot of bitterness from your hops. Yeah. Um, definitely still with the dankness. I think there is dankness here. Okay, so taste-wise, a kind of a, a bit of a blunt bitterness, I would say. A little bit of herbaceous notes. I'm getting a... I wouldn't say it's a flaw. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's flawed, but I am getting notes of a flaw, which is known as Mercaptan. Uh, it's yeah. uh, captain is reminiscent of onion sometimes you know that sort of flavor maybe that's maybe that's what i smelt maybe it's it's like a burnt onion mm. it's like yeah it's like an allium a, a burnt allium like a burnt garlic or a burnt onion that's the and when i taste it there's actually a burnt note to the i i, I don't know if it's a flaw but it's like a bitter bitter burntness you know it doesn't have any of the kind of tropical notes I would have expected from a New England IPA. No, it's very, it's it's bitter, but I think the main f problem I have with this beer is that it's not balanced. It's very mm. unbalanced. It's it's super bitter without having any support to lend it. Very much so. It's yeah. It's again. It's like that that burnt note is inescapable. I mm. can't I can't not taste it. But the problem is that it's it's right at the front of the beer. And then 
there's nothing at the back. It's like an, it's not even a dry finish. It's a nothing finish. I'm not. I, I I can't really taste anything after that. Yeah, no, there, there's something going on here. I think they're adding way too much kettle hops. Not really the modern way of doing an IPA where you mostly prefer late kettle hopping with more flavor. But yeah, definitely, I can't get past the Mercaptonish stuff going on here. Mm. It's a, it's a pity because there's the there's it seems like there's the base of a good beer, like there's the impression of a good beer without anything to mm. to make that statement true. You know, it's yeah. like it's it's very close to not being pleasant. It's still kind of just sitting in that little realm of I'll I can finish it, but I don't really. I definitely don't want another one. Thank yeah. you very much. I can finish it, but I don't want to. No. <laughs> No, that's a, that's a pity. I was, you know, it's my first time tasting Love Buzz, but um, I thought this would be mm. better. I thought there would be a little bit more, a little bit more complexity out of this, you know. Unfortunately, I, I must say, and again, you know, I'm I'm hoping that I will be proven wrong eventually. But this has been my experience of the kennel brews in general that no. it's not been technically very competent. No, that's that's sad. That's very very sad, actually. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to give mine a four. Okay, I'm giving mine a three, uh, which I, I give it one more point than the Firebird IPA we had from Red Rock because it's not a faux PA. It clearly is an attempt at an IPA. Yeah, yeah, they're, but, they're actually um, trying. It's a bad attempt at it, and yeah, I would, so I would certainly not buy this again. No, I'm not going to have this, thank you. So it, it puts it at second to last, and Firebird still occupies the uh, dubious honor of being, you know, bottom of the pile. But uh, yeah, that having but said, Red Rock Brewing Company really is no more, so I'm hoping we're not, you know, hurting anyone's feelings. Um, but Love Buzz, unfortunately, <laughs> is still a current concern, and I, I really hope that the kennel yeah. can sort of up its game a little because, in the modern craft brewing scene, if your beers are, are like I would, I would kind of describe it as as floor adjacent, you're not gonna you're not gonna make it. But that that's what's so weird to me is that. Is this a pleasant beer for anyone to drink? Is someone drinking this at the brewery and going, yeah, we fucking nailed that? Mm. Well, look, you I've can, worked a little bit in that it. field, man, and I'm, I can maybe comment on that. I mean, I've worked with breweries. I've, I've been a sensory analyst for breweries. I've done recipe formulation for breweries. And it still sometimes amazes me when I speak to professional, so-called professional brewers and they they drink their beer and they go, this is great. This is my best beer. I love it. My friends say it's great. This but is a great beer. And then give as a sensory analyst, like... I drink it and, and I go, no, dude, this has got like three different flaws and is no. undrinkable. And they but go, I mean, you I'm, don't know what you're talking I'm, about. I'm the exact opposite of you, Marcel. I've never worked in the industry. I've just drank the beer. And I'm so that's what that's my purpose here is I'm a layman. And yeah. I can taste that this isn't an overwhelmingly pleasant beer. You know, I would drink it as a last resort. Mm. And that shouldn't be the type of beer that you want to put out. No, I mean, I would um, never drink this. I wouldn't even drink it as a lot. Last resort for me is a wine. Okay, I would rather open a bottle of wine. <laughs> I, I, I'd move over to gin instead. Know, I, and, and again, it, I'm very, very sad because I was mm. super, super into their branding. And I have had one of their other beers, mm. and it really wasn't bad. Mm. And this has very disappointed me. It's Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, they've got to look at their production and their quality control. I mean, but look, yeah. I mean, the, the problem with, with a lot of the local breweries, and as I've often said to other people and people who know me, you know, I would often speak to craft brewers and I would ask them things like, okay, do you have a sensory panel in your brewery? Which is a absolute base minimum requirement for any brewing company. 
And a sensory panel is essentially people you train to be sensory analysts or you get them in who are already trained. And they taste your beer every time you make a new brew. And they do a triangular test, which means you have to spot the odd one out. So you take beers of the previous batch, you give them a new brew, and you, you what you want is you don't want the new one to look significantly different yeah, to the old yeah, one. Sure. And you do statistics but, on it. It's actually a statistical more, analysis. Marcel, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm, and I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I do think that those are fundamental requirements mm. for, for the production and manufacturing process. But there is like a very, very basic standard of – is this beer good? Oh, yeah. Which is just give give it to somebody and and do they go holy shit? Give me more, mm. or do they go okay? I'm good, thank you very much. Yeah, um, it's... and that, that that's a basic function of beer. Beer mm. beer brings you joy. Beer the whole reason we do any of this is because it's a pleasant experience. Yeah, and when you have something that is, you know, to 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 massacre a turn of yours, unpleasant adjacent. Mm then i'm not sure what they're drinking that i'm not has yeah. uh, you know has this has this been destroyed in transit no. is this is this not the same beer that came out of uh, there well, that's that's facility? a common excuse uh, go to excuse for people who don't always know what they're doing is to say oh it's the storage or it's the transit but we we've bought this beer from a supplier we know does not store the beer improperly yeah. who yeah. maintains a cold chain this beer has maintained a cold chain from the moment i received it and yeah. um and you know the fact that you can get beer from America literally from another country which is not yeah this, exactly uh, like this, exactly uh, exactly so then, it, then it's got to be done to the recipe or it's got to be done to the manufacturing process uh, it's the processes and I think again like you said you know you don't have to have a century you do have to I mean technically you no, have you to do. have a century panel you, but you do. even if you, you don't have to have you have to have all those things, mm. but your very final thing after you've discussed this with people who've been trained to understand mm. beer is you go out to a pub and you give someone a can of this and you mm. go, do you like it? Mm. Is it, is it something that you would drink again? Yeah. And exactly. And, and, and would you pay and for it? So if, yeah. And if you fail at that point, then mm. all of your sensory panels mean nothing anyway. I mean, what amazes me a little bit about, this whole thing and we're not just talking about the kennel here it just happens to be the beer in front of no, us no no sure yeah but it's a bit of a problem generally i find in local craft beer is that it's just as though the i mean the brewers use their own taste exclusively it's like they are yeah. the final arbiters of whether this is a good beer or not and yeah. that's just not a good idea um any study you the, find on yeah. on the psychology of taste suggests that we are very biased in our own subjectivity and that's Absolutely. why sensory analysis actually exists, you know, and it's not difficult. I, I bet you that in any major city right now in South Africa, you'll find people who are BJCP accredited tasters and judges and, and sensory analysts. It won't be difficult to find one person to just come and taste your beer and, and give you an independent no. opinion. You know? I was going to say exactly the same thing. That is like the, the, the process of manufacturing a beer, of creating a beer, mm. is such an exceptional process that at the end of it, when you come out with something – that is drinkable, you are going to obviously inherently have these biases yeah. towards yourself that, holy shit, look what I've made. Mm. Look how fucking awesome this is. I'm the greatest human being that's ever lived. <laughs> and those biases will feed into yeah. whether or not you think it's a good beer or not. But at the end of the day, if you want to sell this beer and you want to make this a going concern, mm. then you have to make sure that this is something that people are going to drink and they're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And Kennel, look, this is not even the worst example of what of what we've experienced before in terms of beer. We've had some atrocious beers, not even off style, like just plain mm. off. You know, you know, Kennel's got some flaws, sure, 
we've had some terrible beers. And you have to question whether or not these people tasted this and went, I'm just amazed I was able to make this in the first place. Yeah. You know? Look, I don't know. I mean, I would never want to speculate upon that sort of thing. But I think, again, the fact that you're releasing a beer like this to the public is a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's move on, Marcel. I think we've we've yeah. we've done that one. Um for our next one, let's to to lift the spirits of beer a little bit, let's do some beer questions. How about that? Yeah. Let's do it. But I'm I'm gonna suggest we open another one. Okay. Now, this That's is fine. a new point uh, point me in the direction. So this is not our IPA leaderboard beer. Uh, it doesn't qualify because it's not our IPA. But it is something interesting. And this is I don't really know what they say the style is. I think it's a bit of a it's a pale ale but i guess for, if you were a strict bjcp nerd you would probably put this under alternate grain beer which is a sub style because this beer contains sorghum which is a very traditional grain which can be used for many purposes um it's a very pretty plant i don't know if you've ever seen a sorghum plant but it's very no, no, I it's quite beautiful um looks almost exotic and um, it's, it's one of those plants they probably used back in the day in Star Trek. Um, there's an interesting thing like <laughs> I don't know, like I've been I've been rewatching Star Trek, and if you rewatch Star Trek, you often see proteas in in really? fla- yeah, like they used proteas because they're so exotic for the rest of the world. So it's like an alien plant. Yeah, it's like what is this? Look and you could certainly use leaves. sorghum. You could use sorghum in Star Trek. It looks very exotic. Um, okay. Obviously, traditional African beer, Nkomboti, which is the which I can't yeah, pronounce that's properly, a unfortunately, beer, yeah. but that is the traditional beer of many um, African countries, including South Africa. Um, so, sor- but sorghum is a grain you can use for beer, and it also has cassava, which is another great um, African root vegetable. Cassava is sort of like sweet potato-ish. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a yeah, it's a, yeah potato crossed with a yeah. I'm not sure if this is still the case, but I know back in the 60s and 70s, right about there, I think cassava was definitely the most grown crop in Africa as a continent. I'm not sure if that's still the case. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so this is a this is a beer called Jekyll and Hops. It is made with sorghum cassava. It is from, I think it's brewed at OC Brewery, which is a Joburg-based uh, brewery who's been doing some really interesting things lately. But it's it's a I think it's sort of like a collab between them and Bearded Brew. Now Bearded Brew is a company run by Donnie Woodendahl. Now Donnie Woodendahl is a known name by most people in homebrewing and brewing in this country. Um, Donnie's been around forever. Sorry, Donnie, I'm not suggesting that you're old. Simply that, <laughs> that you're a veteran. Um, Donnie used to be a master brewer at SA Breweries. He was responsible, amongst many other things, for Castle Milk Stout. And, and other great brews, and then he's always been a friend of craft brewing and, a, and an avid home brewer. And since he's left um, Macro Brewing, he has started his own company called Bearded Brew, who's sort of a, a beer consultant. He's he, he helps people with all sorts of things like recipe formulation, starting up breweries, equipment, milling grains. He's very passionate about grain milling and and grain sort of care. Uh, but he's he's a font of knowledge. He's a great guy to you know, to hang out with. He's got a very strong beard game, um, which puts my, <laughs> my own beard game to shame. Yeah. And um, so this is a... Sorry, he sounds like Marcel 2.0. Oh, yeah. No, he's obviously in all fundamental respects better he's, than me. Yeah, he's a big upgrade. Big upgrade. Yeah, so, and and uh, Donnie and a friend of his, who I do apologize, I, I kind of forgotten 
his name, and I do apologize. And he's also a very recognizable fellow bearded homebrewer. They've started something called the Yeti Underground Movement. Um, so <laughs> I don't really know what's going on there. It's it's no. Obs- there's a there's like a collab with like three, four different things. Yeah, and is, and they, they because of their technical knowledge, um, they can use methods which most other people find very obscure. This particular beer, the the Jekyll and Hops, was made with the reverse mashing decoction technique, which okay. is so obs- it is the footnote to the footnote somewhere in a brewing textbook. I'm sure. I mean, decoction mash mashing alone is a very difficult process, which involves lots of weird and very time consuming processes, which I think is. Often used what in some German fuck? beers. It's used to gelatinize the starches using a liquefaction enzyme. Yeah, so they... I mean, everyone knows that, Marcel. Obviously. I mean, sorry about that. But uh, it's got some cool hops. It's got some Idaho, which I've, ne- uh, I've never tasted before. Um, Sabro, which is not one I know. And they use cryo how, hops. How, how cool is it that they actually tell you for how long they added the hops in for? I know, right? And, and yeah, so they actually give That's you the recipe. fucking... Proper, proper geek stuff. This is brilliant. Yeah, so they give you the actual wheats. They the, say the when it they was. They, they, for instance, they use the sorghum malt and the Munich malt pre-mash in their decoction and method. And the cassava pre-mash. And they give you the, the time at which th- they fact, added the, so the hops. Cool. Love it. Love it. This is obviously from a beer nerd. Oh, absolutely. This is totally beer nerd heaven. This, this, this um, whole can and the labeling and everything is exactly. Yeah. It even yeah. goes beyond yeah, what yeah. I would expect to be yeah, the gold standard of labeling. Absolutely. Because I've never seen a label with, with almost the exact recipe of the beer on the label. Yeah. Here we go. Go make this beer. Well, obviously, they know that no one else knows how to make the fucking reverse mashing decoction. I oh, know, but that, that is a very homebrew thing. Because homebrewers, in many ways, homebrewers can do these obscure methods because they're not <laughs> brewing thousands of liters of beer, right? They're like, fuck it. I'll do the reverse mashing yeah. decoction. But the fact is, this like, is a production beer, so I don't know how much they made of it, but it must shit. have been quite a, an adventure. Can I can I also say that that on the can itself the the front illustration of Jekyll and Hobbs is fucking awesome. Yeah, it is so beautiful. The front yeah. of the can is yeah, so if, brilliant. If Mister Hyde was a hop monster, this is what yeah. it would look like. Yeah, this is so well done. It's so it's hilarious. Done. I mean, it's funny. It's lighthearted. I love the Yeti Underground yeah. Movement logo. I, I, I do not like the font they've used for the, the text <laughs> on the back. But, it's a funny but besides font. that, it's a very cool can and kudos. Uh, OC yeah. Breweries, I know, have produced some good beers. We will probably be featuring their IPA soon. We don't have it in this show, but I've had it a few times now and have been pretty impressed by it. OC Breweries, one of those craft breweries who've, who've stuck it out. You get them on tap in various places in, in Joburg and restaurants and so on, so they've done well. But uh, I'm glad to see Bearded Brew. I mean, look, if you are a, a new craft brewer or you're starting out a craft brewery or you're struggling with your craft brewery, you should really give Donny a call at Bearded Brew, and I'm sure you can just go for Google him and find his website. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. And this is not a sponsored thing, by the way. We are unsponsored. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Our is, only persistent sponsor has been Marcel Harper's bank account. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, which I might add, it's getting pretty thin, Marcel. It's getting thin, man. It's getting thin. Check, checks aren't coming as quickly as they used We're to. We're definitely at the end of the month, salty crack here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, this is un- unsolicited. I'm pretty sure Donnie doesn't listen to this podcast at all. But if you are well, interested then, in entering this market, you should be talking to him. All right, can we uh, can we can we do this? Absolutely. So in in the glass, I'm having mine by the way in a tulip uh, beer glass. Another one of my uh, special ones I brought mm. out. Uh, hazy, as one would expect with something with adjunct grains like sorghum and cassava and all sorts of stuff in it, because you're not going to. And they also say it's unfiltered, so. You could probably, I mean, sorghum beers, you can filter to crystal clarity. You can make a crystal clear sorghum beer. Um, that obviously isn't the traditional way of doing it, though. No, and um, look, traditional African sorghum beers are a very different thing. It's very sour. It's, it's done with a lot of uh, spontaneous fermentation and so on. But sorghum is as a grain. I mean, what what's happened recently, by the way, is you get a lot of sorghum beers which are brewed for people who are gluten intolerant um, because it has no gluten. Yeah. So if you if you truly have sort of like celiac disease or something and you you can't have beer, then as a sorghum a result, beer is your is your go-to. So yeah, a lot of breweries are producing like sorghum beers now for that. Um, I've never had a beer with cassava in for sure. I don't even think I've ever had cassava. I don't think I've had cassava. Smell-wise, what are you picking up, it's, man? Um, not a lot on the head, eh? Not a lot on the mm. nose. Um, I'm getting a bit of caramel toastiness. A, a bitterness. And, yeah, I think it's from the malt. I'm getting a, that kind of malty caramel. Mm. A bit of sugariness, but also definite dime bag qualities here. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a bit of a home affairs. <laughs> I think you should release minutes. some book one day of your adventures <laughs> at home affairs, man. This is, I will buy that book. It's right next to Mintic, but let's just say that they used to make marijuana there. I assume through some sort of <laughs> biological process. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting I'm getting malt and I'm getting sugar, caramelized sugar. Mm. Um, there's a sweetness and a bitterness. And unfortunately, the, the, now now note here, craft brewers. That's why man and I always complain about not putting stuff in. Now I can go look uh, at the malt bill in the on the can and say, oh, okay, yeah. I'm smelling yeah. the Crystal 150 and some of the Munich yeah, malt they put in here. Isn't that nice? Yeah. yeah, isn't that cool? Look how easy it makes it. Mm. It's a lovely color. It's the kind of multi golden caramel color. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost an amber. It, it really is an amber color, light yeah, amber. Like a, yeah, like a honey, like a, like a dark honey color. It's beautiful. I like it a lot. Okay, I'm going to taste this. Now, remember, this is a pale ale, not a, an IPA. Ooh. Oh. Hmm. It's got a That's it's got a toastiness to it. They definitely toast biscuity flavors from the Munich, I would think. Not as malty as I thought it was gonna be. Not as malty. Definitely some real hops here. I mean we're getting some hop kicks from various places. Definitely Southern Passion. I'm I'm Ooh, that's, getting that's lovely. Hmm. Some orange notes from the mosaic, I think. Apricot, stone fruit. Mm, mm, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting that stone fruit, that mm. apricoty bitterness, that pithy. And what I love in any beer mm. is a really dry finish. I would I would hesitate to say bone dry because that's more like saison territory, but this is pretty dry. This is lovely, Marcel. This is a beautifully put together beer. Mm. Great what a nice, balance. And the one thing which jumps out at me, and, and something I would have written if I had to review this beer, is this immediately makes me think this is a very food friendly beer. 
This is a beer I want I would, with a nice meal. I, I could eat a slab of cheese with this. Mm. This will go with, with a nice cheddar. I, I want this with a steak. I want this with a burger. Mm. Anything on the barbecue is going to go well with this. I am so surprised with the with the malt bill on the label. Um, you know, we got a lot of heaviness out of the the anvil with mm. with the with the malt on that. Mm. There's none of that here. Yeah. Like you can taste it. The malt is given a kind of sweetness and a darkness, but mm. it doesn't give a, 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 a bitterness. But that's that's you know, what we we call balance, right? I mean, balance is often misunderstood by brewers in the sense that, and especially in home brewing, when you're starting out, you you're absolutely forgiven for thinking that when people refer to balance, they're referring to a perfect balance between hops and malt, which is not the case. Um, it's it's a balance in terms of subject of taste components, and and it takes a bit of time to understand that. And I think that here we have a great example of that balance. Lovely, lovely mm. balance. You can you know what? Like now that I've had a couple of sips, that maltiness you can just taste it on your tongue. Mm. That that sweet malt kind yeah. of flavor. Yeah, that's what that's what's left after it's, the hopiness It's bread is gone. and toast and all the nice this, grainy flavors. This, absolutely. And then you take another sip and it mm. washes that all down again. It's yeah. l- oh, this is a beautifully balanced yeah, beer. It is. And I mean, I would, I would hesitate to say, I would, I would be pretty confident to say this is slightly malt forward in the sense that you you tend to taste the malts a little bit more than the hops. Yeah. But yeah. that's the point. And I mean, that's the point. That's mm. exactly it. I mean, what is the, the, how many malts are in here? One, two, there's three different types of malts on top of the cassava, mm. um, which is going to lend its own kind of depth to it. Yeah, so, 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 so sorghum expected. gives it a slight sour note. Um, sorghum in general has a slight, very slight soury, sort of almost like a, a crisp sourness, if you like. Like something you would get from from uh, yeah, like an orange juice or a nice refreshing yeah, juice. But it's also that bready density that you get from yeah. sorghum, you know. So it's and, great. And this is there, but it's all balanced out. So it it clears off your palate by the end of the sip, mm. which is so nice. Your mouth isn't building up with this mm. this feeling of of dough, you know. Yeah, look, I, I love a dry beer. I'm on record for loving dry beers in general, and I have to be for a full body beer to really grab my attention. It's got to be pretty damn good. It's lovely. Um, this is a dry beer. It makes me again. I mean, I'm already halfway through this beer. I can't stop sipping it. It's a I tremendous sipper, right? Every every sipper, you're getting a little bit of mm. different flavor, a little bit of different. Yeah. Uh, your, your your palate's picking up another thing, mm. you know. And this is mm. again not only a beer which would pair well with food, but this is a beer I would cook with. This is a beer I want to chuck into a sauce. I would put this into, into a reduction, yeah, into, into a pie, into a stew. Yeah. Let the, let, let the cassava and those kind of vegetable undertones, Absolutely. let them work. Oh. And what's interesting to me is that in many ways, the risk of putting any vegetable matter in your beer is that you, you don't want a vegetable flavor in your beer. That is almost always a flaw in beer. Even if it's not a flaw, there have been breweries who have experimented with putting more vegetable type of flavors in their beers, and it it's a very acquired taste, let's put it that way. Most yeah. people react negatively to a vegetable flavor yeah. in beer. They prefer fruit flavors. And what's nice here is there are no vegetable flavors here. There are no. interesting flavors. No. Certainly, certainly yeah. you would say like, okay, maybe this is not quite a fruit flavor, but it's not quite vegetable either. And I guess that's the cassava. Um, maybe I would, I would say there's an earthy flavor to it, but it's not, yeah, it's not well a vegetable put, flavor. No, it's earthy, there's but a, not vegetable. 
Thank you. Oh, um, no, so I, yeah, I think that that kind of dark earthiness sits underneath, but it supports yeah. that hoppy, the hoppy brightness and the uh, and the clarity of sure. flavor. It's, so let's it's let's so, summarize. Let's let's conclude, yeah. as they say in the wine mm. world. What's your view on Jekyll and hops? I think this beer would have been absolutely impossible for someone who didn't understand balance to make, because there's a lot of conflicting stuff in here that somehow while still all being there, complements each other. And that is amazing to me. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I the only thing I can say in conjunction, in an agreement with what you just said, is that I cannot wait for the next beer, which which OC Breweries and, and Bearded Brew and the Yeti Underground Movement is going to come up with. Whatever they're going to do, I want that. I want that thing. Mm. Because this is now going on my list. I mean... Our, our other great beer of the day, Juicy Lucy, is already on my list, but yeah. I didn't even know of Jekyll and Hobbs, and mm. it now seems like I'm going to have to drink all of it. Look, given the, the obscure methods used, I'm, I'm guessing they didn't make as much of this, so I would grab any uh, cans of this if I were you. That you can find. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, now I have three in my fridge, so that's as good as it's going to get for the, the foreseeable future. Yeah, but well done. I mean, this is, as far as I know, mm. the first foray of of Bearded Brew and and Donnie into the proper production craft beer market uh, where he's put his name to a beer. And mm. I can only imagine that there's only going to be more and I cannot wait. Yeah, oh, lovely. Well done, Donnie and, yeah. and, and Co. That's a beautiful beer. Beautiful, 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 beautiful beer. beer. All right. On to more Should ratings. We, yeah, well, yeah. Let's, so we've been we've had one terrible beer and one great beer. So let's talk <laughs> beer. Okay. So, so let let me ask you what the best beer you had this year was. That's a big question. Yeah. So that's what is a big the, question, dude? So this was a difficult one for me, obviously, because there are so many contenders and so many, even in our current tasting. I mean, I would I've obviously put Juicy Lucy on there as a very big contender of best beer I had this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this beer we're having right now is definitely a contender. Is a contender, absolutely. But there was one beer which really stood out for me. Um. I had it once a couple of years. I mean, not a couple of years. Yeah, about two years ago, I had it first time around. Then I subsequently had it again. And this year, I had a, another couple. Um, and each time I had this beer, it just improved measurably for me. It it captured everything I love about funny, eccentric beer, um, which I associate with things like Belgium and France and Netherlands and those regions of the world, but with a uniquely South African take on it um it probably will, will come as no surprise to you that this beer was made by soul barrel breweries ah. and it's not the one we had today but it is uh-huh. uh one which is called the live culture cape wild ale okay and it All is right. and it's just an incredible it's a similar formats also in the 
the smaller bottles. I don't think this one is wax sealed, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I mean, if this thing was sealed with, you know, titanium, I would no, still try and get with, to it. With, yeah, if they had wrapped a human fetus around the bottle, you still would have cut it open. <laughs> what a beautiful image, man. Uh, <laughs> I do apologize for everyone who's now trying to go off the ticket. Oh, come on. Um, no, Soul Barrels Life Culture Cape Oil Ale is my best beer for 2021. It is a magnificent ale. It has more barnyard than the one we just had. It's it's less sour, perhaps, but it's certainly complex. It's got layers upon layers upon layers of flavor. Um, it's made with also mostly <coughs> local ingredients. It's also wild, for, spontaneously fermented. But it just captures that. Uh, for me, when I think of farm-style beer, I think of that beer. That's um, what you think of. It's a beer which, which probably if you got into your time machine and traveled back a hundred years, you know, maybe a thousand That's years, kind you'll, of what you'll they find a beer making. like that. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's a magnificent achievement. Kudos to Nick Smith from Soul Barrel. He, he really has shown himself to be someone to, to reckon with in the, in the local crop beer scene. That's, uh, yeah, that, wow, that's very evocative, Marcel. Thank you for that. Hmm. Um, my my, my yours, selection... Man? My, my selection um, is unfortunately clouded with emotion, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as everything I do is. It, it probably wasn't the most perfect beer I've had this year, because I still think that Soul Barrel, the, the selection of beers that I, we, we've tasted from them, was probably the highest quality beers that yeah. we've had this year. No, collectively, I think um, so. Collectively, yeah. But just in terms of 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 the environment around me and and where I had it and everything like that, um, I have to say that my my um, best beer that I consumed this year was a brewery out of Neisner called Redbridge. Okay, yeah, and, I know Redbridge. And Redbridge, they're actually they've got some really good marketing, some really good um, producers out there. Because they've managed to get um, a lot of their stuff on tap, and yeah. a number of different guys down the down that west east west coast, and um, I had the Redbridge Golden Ale, hmm. and it was definitely the best beer on tap that I've had this year, without any doubt at all. Nice. It was a it was a draft glass of sheer pleasure, absolute pleasure. Oh, wonderful. There wasn't a single fault in that beer. It promised everything and delivered, hmm. and. Um, I, I think I also had their lager, which was excellent. Right. Um, and I, re I really actually tried to get us a couple of bottles to, to do on the mm. podcast, and I, and I wasn't actually able to get any bottles. Yeah. Redbridge so, is great. So, I mean, like, I've heard only good things. I've never had their beer. Um, also, I, I, I think Nisner is probably one of the prettiest places in this country. Uh, that whole section, dude, that Plet Nisner Wilderness George is just stupid. It's stupid. Mm. It's it's the it's it's dumb. It's like it makes me angry that a place that beautiful yeah. exists. I mean, for, for our international listeners who are not aware of this region, it's a place where many unique things happen. It's it's one of the most unique forests in South Africa. It's a yeah. place where you find elephants who live in the forest, which are unique to South Africa and that biome. Yeah. Um, it's also the place where well, most of our magic mushrooms are grown. <laughs> 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 yes, Marcel. Yes, Marcel. For those of us who are interested in such things, 
those of us who wish to expand our minds, yeah. we're going to be interested in that. Um, grateful whale watching and dolphins Absolutely. and great sea life and the best beaches basically in South Africa. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and also apparently known for incredibly good craft brewers. I, I can't wait to sample some of that beer when I'm down there. That's great. That's great. So that was that was my best beer that I consumed. Like I say, it was it was affected by uh, environmental concerns. Yeah. Because you can't help but love a beer when you're sitting outside. Oh yeah. At a at a you know watching the beach and mm. and having a good time. Um, your favorite beer style of the year. Yeah. So well, I was I was gonna hit you with that one. So beer style of the year. I would say apart from the wild ales I've had from places like Soul Barrel, um, my favorite beer style of this year, which I've really just returned to as a, a comforting old friend, if you like, um, is not the IPA because I, I, you know, in a way, IPA is always on my menu, but it hasn't been the one which I've returned to for comfort, I guess. Yeah. Um, the one I have returned to for comfort is the... It is a farm style beer. It is a French farm style beer, and it is called the Saison. The Saison, yeah. The Saison, and which which beer that you had as a, which Saison did you have that really solidified that relationship? Yeah, I mean, I must say one of the reasons I picked the stars because I haven't had a bad Saison this year um, from any brewery who makes one locally. Um, it's a high praise indeed. Yeah, I mean, I think this African brewers have really kicked that saison, you know, and, and I think one of the reasons why it's so good here is that we have very warm temperatures. So even if you don't have complete control of your fermentation, and, and it is difficult, you know, because we, we tend to think of professional brewers as having these cool jacketed fermenters with glycol flowing through them, and therefore, you know, they can just make the temperature anything they want. But that's not true because you're still in an ambient temperature environment. And if you put a, a glow, you know, even if you put a really high quality glycol chilled fermenter inside of a place where the temperature in the shade is forty, and there is no shade, <laughs> it's going to affect yeah, the temperature. You still have exactly. Absolutely. There's a limit. There's a limit to what you can yeah. achieve with yeah. even modern technology. And so, what makes the saison great is that saisons love fermenting at high temperatures, and so you can almost have a, a free rise of temperature in your fermentation where you don't even chill the beer during fermentation you just let the, the yeast go where it wants to go and in a hot climate like south africa that's great because in belgium which is a cold climate and in france where they make the saisons you know traditionally they they often have to put those beers in a what they call a warm room so it's close to a fireplace or close to a heater yeah to get it up to the temperature it likes to ferment at, which is like upper yeah. 20s and even low 30s which is basically our climate. Yeah. So I've so, always so waited for the Saison to become the great craft beer star I think it can be in this country. Of South Africa. And I've seen it, you know. And that's my a, best that's a one great though, selection. My best one, though, without a doubt, is is Richmond Hill Brewing Company's November Child, which also, for me, won Best Label. And and they just uh, flavored their Saison with chamomile tea. They keep on surprising me. There's a lovely, refreshing note from the chamomile. There's the dry... And with Saison, you want you want the spicy champagne dryness of the Saison, which is just the best beer to have in a warm climate anyway because it refreshes tremendously. Um, yeah. And it retains that slight farm-ish flavor, but it's never wild. It's never sour. It's never super barnyard. It's just a little spiciness. You know, that's the best Saisons for me. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. That wonderful That makes really sense. I mean, it's also such a, a brilliant – 
you know, compliment mm. to say that the reason why you've been drinking Saison's is because there aren't any bad ones. I, I haven't had one yet. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. What um, about you, man? My, look, I, I got, about six weeks ago, I got turned on to Pilsners again because of the Soul Barrel SA Pulse. Mm. And that's, without, that's all I've been drinking since. That was on my shortlist for weeks. base beer of the year. Yeah. It was an astonishing, astonishing beer. Like, from a, from a, a style that I don't normally drink, um, you know, I, because I've never really tasted an exceptional one. It's it's very mm. easy to taste normal pilsners, you know, like mass market pilsners, and they're all enjoyable, and there's nothing wrong with that. But an exceptional pilsner makes you readjust your taste buds to kind of accommodate what a pilsner can be, and that that soul barrel SA pulse really did it for me. Mm. So that's kind of been to me that was like an awakening. So I'm going to get back dripping to dripping condensation on my laptop. Always a good thing. But that's yeah. It's a small miracle you that your laptop's still around. It, dude. Like every day I wake up and I'm like, this is the this is proof that God exists. Yeah, I think you should sell your laptop to the military because it's clearly hardened against all damage. It's, it's obviously no nothing can damage this. Yeah, thing. nothing, nothing at all. One day that will be taken along to Mars. This thing, like the motherboard, is made entirely out of vomit by this point in time. <laughs> how, how is it possible that it's still working? Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Pubic, pu- pubic hair and vomit. That's all this computer's made up of. A wonderful image there to leave everyone with. <laughs> I didn't Christmas say it was season. my pubic hair. It, was, <laughs> it could be anyone's pubic hair in this laptop. Indeed. So I'm going to suggest um, returning to some movie data and uh, based of movies. Okay. So, Wait, what beer are we opening? What beer are we drinking? Okay, so out of the magic bag, we pulled a interesting collaboration beer, limited edition, obviously, from Agar's Brewery, which we know very well from Josie, and a new craft beer outfit called Goodwill Brewery. Um, I've kind of been unable to find any info on them, so they must be very new. Hmm, I've never heard of them. Yeah, and this little beer is called Brut Sauvage. And it I'm is so I'm so glad you used the the <laughs> French pronunciation. Of course, of course. Uh, you know, my name is after all Marcel. I could not uh, Marcel um, walk away from my do, French roots. Do you enjoy your brut sauvage? Oh, c'est bon. It's but so um, good. it's oh. an extra dry brut IPA. So this is a style we haven't encountered yet in our listing. It's a new style. I mean, it's not. I don't even think it's officially part of BJCP uh, canon. But uh, the Brut IPAs have been around for a while, and the idea behind the Brut IPA is to whoa, nice foley there, is to make it a very bone dry IPA. But it, the idea is it's a very dry, dry IPA, which really emphasizes the hop flavors, and sometimes I'm very excited for this. Yeah, and sometimes you you use hop strains. Not this is it's not required by the non style, I guess. But um, you you can use hops hops which resemble 
more wine-like flavors or grape-like flavors. So you're getting to that sort of brut champagne, dry white wine kind of flavors. And in this case, um, I think the brewers have tried to do that. So on the on the can, which we'll mention more about later, uh, you can see they've used Nelson Savant. So Nelson Savant uh, hops is actually known to produce grape-like um, dry white wine kind of flavors. Um, mm. They've got Citra, which mm. we know and love, which is your lemon flavors, and Galaxy hops from Australia, which actually is one of the few hops, other than South African hops actually, which produces passion fruit and guava flavors. Now, I'm a big fan of guava. I just got to say. Uh, yeah, absolutely, especially in a kind of hoppy bitterness. Absolutely. And bring, I don't know about you, Matt, on. but as I poured this puppy, I just smelled guava. It took me back That's, to that, that is exactly what I smelled. To when I was a little a little uh, youngster running after the milk truck, which also happened to sell guava juice in my neighborhood anyway. And uh, mm. I, I believe guava juice is actually kind of rare. I, 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 you, apparently, it's a thing in South Africa and in the Middle East. But like, do you, you know how many guavas you need to make guava juice? Yeah, like our like American, the, the, the yield per item is just astronomically yeah. small. Our American listeners may find the idea of guava juice even repulsive. Because um, well, they don't then, have it. Then they're, well, they need to get fucking on board here. But guava it's is the I love John. Yeah. Nectar just... of the gods. You know, you know what my overwhelming memory of guava juice is, yeah. is when we, we were at school. Mm. You, you used to, from the ice cream guys, who used to sit on their yeah, bikes yeah. with a little cooler box yeah, and with they used dry to sell ice. ice creams. That's right. They used to have uh, a thing called a take five. And a take five mm. was concentrated orange juice okay. in, a, in, a, in a plastic bag that you then snip the side off. And then eat it like an ice lolly. Wow. But they also had a take five guava. Right. And this smells exactly That's like amazing, a take five guava. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I'm taking back your mini food This is very, very. How about nice. that? A guava, a guava you, IPA. A guava IPA. What do you think of the? What do you think of the can? Can's nice. I mean, I think we can say with some confidence, and I, I, I know that Mike Agor and the other guys from Agor Brews will take this in the spirit it's meant. I think we can say with confidence that they were not involved in the design of this label. Oh, I was going to say the same thing. I was like, I'm sorry, guys, but Agor's didn't touch this design. This is you guys have got someone independent to do this because this is, this is. This is way too nice. I think the, the guys at Goodall probably went, don't worry, we got this. We got this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll find an agency somewhere, but this is definitely not in your hands, Agors. Yeah, look, I mean, we, um, we, we love making fun of Agors' design, and I know that the guys know we, we, it, we know that. It's an, it's an in-joke. It's, it's an, an in-joke, in-joke by now. Yeah. It's fine. They, they, they carry on regardless, and so do we. Look, this is oh, a nice shit. label. Uh, you, know, you know what? Label designed by the Kennel Creative. Oh, okay. Could so that have anything of... to do with the Kennel Breweries? No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, okay, that's cool. So I, uh, I love the label. I like I like anything with an angry wolf face on it, which scares the shit yeah, out of me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's gonna tear you apart. This is a fucking wolf. Got Are you a, crazy? Got a bit of a thing a... of the never-ending story in it. Nice bands font. I like. I mean, the Savage is obviously kind of a wild font. Uh, yeah, simple design, but elegant and. Obviously, a limited edition. So this is not going to be something which you're going to see, I think, uh, grand production on. Um, so again, you know, you always want to balance out 
cost of design versus run of a beer. But I mean, I would imagine this is something they'll repeat in subsequent years as well. Not a lot of text on the label, but mm. um, quite uh, 6% alcohol. That's, um, that's robust. That's um, and I did you know, put which hops are used here, and that's the ones which I've mentioned already. Nelson, Savant, Citra, and Galaxy. Mm. Okay, I like the can. I like it in general, mm. absolutely. So let's have a taste. Um, I mean, color-wise, yeah. this is sort of, again, like a nice golden color. Um, you know, yeah, A little bit know, lighter. A little lighter, maybe little dark lighter. straw, golden. Yeah. Nice head, nice crisp head, like a yeah. you know, like you would expect from something like this. Cloudy, more more New England. Than yeah, I would imagine not filtered. English, yeah, and probably dry hopped. I, w- I would imagine with this sort of hop bill, because they're using reasonably expensive hops. None of these hops, Citra, um, Nelson Savon, or uh, Galaxy, are cheap hops to buy. They're very much in demand gonna, around no. the world right now. So they, you're going to pay for it. I was going to say Galaxy in particular because we haven't mm. encountered a lot of beers in South yeah. Africa that have that use Galaxy. Galaxy is so one I, of the most sought after hops right now worldwide. So you you're going to find really, a lot of your American craft brewers, for instance, have got massive hop contracts with hop growers in Australia and in America growing Galaxy. So it's a lovely nose, lovely nose. Okay, I'm going to taste this. Well, the guava continues for me. I still have that fruity guavaness. Guava. There's some there's some grapefruit, some um, passion fruit even coming through. Um, not a whole lot of lemon, so I'm I'm wondering where in how much citra, yeah. Where in the bro- process they put the citra? Um, I like the I like a more restrained use of citra, because citra for me can be very overpowering. So I like it when brewers use citra very sparingly, in a sense. And here is a good example of this. I think it's just rounding out the tasting notes here for me. Um, just the lemon again, you know, like if you think about lemon, if you're gonna use lemon in a drink like a G&T or something, you're going to put a little rind of lemon in there, a little slice of lemon. You're not going to squeeze no, all the lemon a, in. You thing. don't put a shot of lemon in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, one should be careful with citra because it's very lemony, very lemony um, hop. Um, my, my first impression of this is that it's not anywhere close to as dry as I expected it to be. Yeah, when it comes to Brut, I would say, I would almost say that, that almost Juicy Lucy is a little bit drier than this. It, it, it Not almost, it definitely is mm. drier than this. But I think part of the Brit idea is also a limited hop ball. You're really getting the, the hops to play more than the hop than the malt. And you are trying to create some white wine flavors, which I think I am getting right now. As you keep on drinking it, the that Sauvignon Blanc grape flavor yes. is coming yes. through. Now that you mention it, I do there's like that kind of Yeah, that white wine um mm. Astringency, yeah. Again, if you're a Sauvignon Blanc fan and you drink this, you'll you will feel familiar territory. Hmm. Hmm. Actually, now that, yeah, that actually is mm. a very fair point. I mean, what you, I mean, I I'm really enjoying this. I mean, I like the uh, right mm. away. Again, this is a food friendly beer for me. I, I would love to have this with some sushi, some nice fish. I mean, like a Sauvignon Blanc. Um. Yeah, and I can I can see the appeal. I really really can. I'm not. I don't know. It, it it's just coming off a bit flat to me, hey. Like right. it's just a little bit lacking in the complexity I expected. Mm. It, it's not as I I thought it would finish a bit drier. I thought the that guava flavor, while while it is there on the front, it, it doesn't really perpetuate at all. Um, it's kind of all washed mm. away. It's no, a bit I'm, muddled. The aroma definitely yeah. is better than the taste. I mean, I think that maybe what could have been yeah. done better is to make it drier. Um, than it was, and 
to really let those hops shine, you know, sort of like pare down the, the malt bill a little, because, I mean, the colors suggest that there's still some crystal malts in here and stuff. I would yeah. actually like, if I were them, chuck the crystal malts, you know, chuck anything yeah. which is kilned or toasted and rather just use pale malts with a very dry yeast finish, which you obviously want in a Brut IPA, and just let these very expensive and very beautiful hops um, play play the yeah the main orchestra. What, what is the what is the galaxy supposed to bring to the galaxy to the is very guava yeah. and 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 passion. Fruit. Is that that guava? Is that yeah. that passion very fruit, guava. fruity, jungle yeah. kind of? And okay. and and All it right. is. It's it's sort of after because of that unique taste, along with um, like I said, the only other hops currently being able to produce that is South African hops. Um, oh, know, really? like your your southern tropical type of style hops. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I'm just surprised that there isn't more of that flavor in the actual beer. Mm. Um, it, I'm, I definitely am tasting that kind of dry white wine, Sauvignon Blanc yeah. type undernote, and that's and that's very pleasant. Mm. And I get that, um, but I really thought that would then be balanced against this very tropical, more danky notes. Um, sure, and there, there aren't very many of them. I'm actually not tasting. You know, as an IPA, I'm not really getting very much mm. of that crunch. No, all. it's a pity. I mean, because I would have loved to have more guava flavors because it is such a unique flavor. Mm. And I think that the guava would have played off against like this really dry acerbic wine note very, very well. Mm. Um, Look, but, I mean, um, if, we, not, if we think about no. how this is produced, I mean, your aroma hops are usually the ones which are added right at the end of your brewing process. So yeah. my guess is they use a lot of late hopping in the um, yeah. Galaxy, but maybe yeah, they exactly. could have done with a little bit more dry hopping maybe with Galaxy as well as some midway um, kettle additions to just yeah. get that guava flavor in there. Yeah, it just feels a bit off balance at the moment because all I'm really getting, and, and actually mm. it, I must say it really came forward when you mentioned it, is that that white wine flavor? Yeah, and it's it's there's nothing really mm. bouncing around there. You but know? look, it's maybe that is to that. some extent the Brut IPA idea is to have a very white wine, dry, um, refreshing, bright flavor yeah. without too much complexity. But, but then why use the why expend you know your hopple on Galaxy mm. if you're not going to really use it properly? Yeah, look, I mean, I, look, aroma wise, this is one of the best. Oh, yeah. Smelling beers, one hundred percent. You know, like 100%. it smells beautiful, beautiful. But is that and a thing? Is it is it a, is it a thing for beers to absolutely, have a particular yeah. aroma yeah, and not all... actually have those flavor profiles? It can be absolutely, itself. and I think that is okay. I think that it's part of beer appreciation. Okay. It's 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 you you're going from like we've been doing. You know, you're going almost from the can or the label to the the look of the beer, the aroma, because hops work in that way. If you depending on when you add the hops in your boil or yeah. after fermentation or during fermentation, um, it will produce different things. So if you add hops sure. early, it's going to make it very bitter. If you add hops um, somewhere in the middle, it's going to add the flavor. And if you add hops yeah. right at the end, it's going to give you a lot of aroma. It's aroma, yeah. Um, so yeah. it's all part of that whole sensory experience. And I think it's a legitimate idea, you know. Maybe they wanted to have more of a, a very exotic um, aroma, mm. which it does have. I mean, there's no other mm. beer le- no, recently absolutely. I've had which has this aroma. Yeah, no, so no, I've got I, a score in my to an extent. I just, I just kind of, yeah, I've got, I do have a score. I do have a score. I cool. do have a score. Let's, let's, let's go there because I think I've made my point. <laughs> um, I think it's a good beer, and I think I really want yeah. to like this beer because I do like agars very much. Mm. I do like pretty much all of their beers. 
Um, You're on record as being a, a great fan of the brewery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the worst I can say about Agos is that they do tend to make, they tend to one note beers. Sure. You know, where it's kind of that's, you know, you're not challenged by it, and I'm okay with that because it's a, I, I'm looking for a sessionable beer, and Agos provides that in in quantities. Um, in this, because it's a limited kind of run and mm. it's a collab, and I just I think I expect a little bit more, so I'm going to sure. give it a six point five. Okay, that's that's not bad. I mean, I'm I'm giving it a bit of a higher rating, and maybe it's just because I'm a fan of very dry beers. I'm I'm actually giving it a seven point two five. But it's not that dry. That's what I'm. That's the thing. It's the Juicy Lucy was an order of magnitude drier than this. Oh yeah. But that's why Juicy Lucy is a nine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. What, yeah. am I, what am I arguing against? That's but funny. I think it's a it's a competent beer. I'm giving it props for the aroma, I think, which is very unique. Um, mm. I like it. I, yeah, I, I true. think it's good. True. So true. Um, no, it's, a good, it's a good rating. It's obviously no flaws. It's a good beer. I just think it's not the beer it could be. Yeah. And that's, you know, I was just expecting, you know, that, that extra... That extra crunch in the middle, and I don't no, think I'm getting that. And, well, this is one of those fair. rare moments, Matt, where I'm actually scoring higher than you in the beer. Um, yeah, well, I think we can see who's the idiot around here then. Yeah, that's me. Um, no, oh, oh, <laughs> that wasn't where I was going, but that's fine. Yeah, no, it's a good one. And, and it puts it right sort of almost smack bang in the center of our leaderboard right now. Yeah, but uh, let's give props for kind of innovation. I mean, yeah, it is, for sure. you know, very much like we do with the Jekyll and Hops. You know, they've done a new brewing technique and it's very complex and things like that. And I think the Brut Sauvage, in terms of, um, you, you know, trying to introduce new new hops and, mm. uh, like you say, even quite difficult to find expensive hops into the process, um, I'm, I do admire that. I really sure. do. And it doesn't change the way I feel about Agars. I still love you guys. Yeah. Good one. Okay, so on to more listing. So I'm going to suggest one more uh, movie one. It's the last movie one we have. And that yes. is the best old movie you watched for the yeah. very first time this year. So this is a movie which yeah. is obviously not made in 21, but you watched it for the first time this year. I have a very controversial choice here, so I'm going to leave mine until the end. I'll let you hear yours. So mine is really old. It, it was released in 1987. And... Um, it's a movie I never watched, even though it has received the claim throughout. It's on um, Ebert's great movie list, and um, that's why I watched it because my better my better half and myself are busy watching all of the movies on Ebert's great movie list. Oh, I can't, number three, Inside Anna's Ass, best movie ever. <laughs> okay, I've gotten. Oh wait, th- sorry, I think that might be a different Ebert. I think you're in a different one there. Um, and this one is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Amazing. With, um, amazing, amazing, amazing yeah, film. With, with John Candy and uh, Steve Martin. It's an incredible movie. I mean, it is it is slapstick on some level. It is traditional comedy on another. It is almost magic realism. There are, there are scenes in that movie which is straight out of Monty Python and you know things like a, a, a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. And then it's a, got a, the mo- probably the most haunting ending of any movie I've ever watched. Really. I mean, and I would include some pretty heavy dramas in that list, but it's got a very haunting ending, which is still with me. But it, it has a happy ending. Mm, I'm not sure about that, man. I it think it's does. got a bittersweet ending. 
Um, yeah, okay, but but it's sweet. But I mean, there's that lingering, there's that lingering still shot of John Candy's face, which expresses both joy and sadness, which haunts me because he doesn't have the family that Steve Martin has. It's pretty fucking haunting. Sure, yeah, but I, I, I think it's really about how you define that face, and I think to him, it's there's a. That, that look does have a look of pleasure on it as well. Sure, but know, I, like I think maybe, this movie makes just maybe very, he's found his family, you know. Maybe, but I think this movie makes very specific choices in what it shows you. I mean, it shows you. Oh, well, it's John Hughes. John Hughes isn't very exactly known weird for shit. Just like laying it on the table, you know. Yeah. No, I I love the movie. I mean, I started watching with great skepticism. I, I even half. It's one of those movies where even halfway through, you're still wondering whether you like. It. And then. Um, it just finishes okay. so strong for me. And there's scenes which are so funny that you've got to pause the movie and excuse yourself while yeah. you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like there's, just, a, there's, a, there's, a scene where, there's a scene where John Candy is driving. <laughs> I was about to say. And, um, and, that's the, and they that's go, the Tim I think Burton they go between moment. two trucks or yes, something like yes, that. Yes, And the, the car spins around and it's yeah. on fire. And he looks at John... And Steve Martin looks at John Candy. And John Candy is, the devil. is literally the devil. Yeah, and Steve Martin and it, becomes this this sort of skeleton person. <laughs> and it is the funniest. Like I yeah, actually have to pause there. the movie at that point, and and it's just the most mm. hilarious, absurdist, yeah. surreal thing. Yeah, it that, is. It that's is, straight yeah. out of Beetlejuice, sort of style yeah. stuff. And yeah, yeah. and and adjacent to that scene is where they arrive at the motel, and they they're literally driving a car which has been burnt. Like like there's nothing left of it. It's wheels yeah. and melted rubber. And, like and, that's all that's yeah. left of this car. And the genius of that moment is both Martin and Candy plays it straight. They yeah, yeah, they just get out the car. It's like there's nothing wrong with driving a car like this. What are you looking at, <laughs> kind of thing? You know, what's wrong with you? Uh, it's brilliant. Oh, it's brilliant. Man. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Well, you know, watching watching that kid, uh, watching that movie as a kid, mm. and uh, you know, maybe you're like ten or eleven years old, and uh, Steve Martin says, "Where's your hand?" Mm. And John Candy goes between two pillows, mm. and Steve Martin <laughs> goes, "Those on pillows." Mm. And as a twelve-year-old, you don't get that, but as a twenty-year-old, yeah, you, you absolutely get that. You're well, like, I mean, oh. it, yeah, I mean, Planes, Trains, Automobiles is one of those movies which escaped me. I mean, I I'd never watched it, and really, was this your first time watching? This it? This is the very first time I've watched it, and I just oh, somehow you avoided. had such a sheltered upbringing. You I know, know that. Right? it's actually annoying. I know, but 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 because of Ebert's great movie list, I watched it and loved it. And it it, I, I guess in a way, maybe because it's the first time I've seen it, the more adult themes sort of came up for me. And yes, and that's yeah, why I, I would that. describe it as a somewhat of a haunting comedy. Yeah, I think the thing is also is that there's a uh, John Candy does play a very sad character, as mm. you find out kind of halfway through the film. But the, that sadness is a very everyman sadness, yeah, yeah. and you kind of ascribe your own um, motivations to that sadness as the film goes along. Um, but by all and, accounts, and I think um, he plays himself because uh, I read a, a an article which Ebert wrote. Yeah, he was a tragic guy, you know. In in having added because it wasn't initially part of his great movie list, and then he rewatched it later on and he added it. Yeah, I remember that. He like yeah. he gave it like two and a half stars mm. the first time round, and then went back and he was like. He's never been able to forget this movie, you know. And and he said that one of the his defining moments was he met Candy by accident in the airport lobby. They were both waiting for the same plane, and he he, he chatted to obviously Candy knew who he was, and he chatted to Candy, and he said that the the raw John Candy was yeah. the guy he saw in that movie. It's, yeah. He's not acting. 
Shame. It's, a, it's, I mean, John Candy is one of those actors where you kind of feel sad for mm. new generations that they don't get to experience the, 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 the sheer visceral joy of, of yeah. having known John Candy on screen, you know, in these movies as they're coming out, you know? Absolutely. Um, every little role he took was just, ele- the movie was elevated by him being in it. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he was Chris Farley without being crass. Mm. You know, he was, he was every exomorph kind of character. <laughs> Um, with this internal monologue, you know, mm. he, it was, it, he was an absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant actor. And he, it was very, it's very sad that he was taken from yeah. us. Um, but what a great choice. Transplants and Omar Brothers. I, uh, I, I, I fully endorse that. And go rewatch it if you only saw it many, many years ago, because you'll take different things from it. Yeah, yeah. Also, a very nice. I know. I think it's set in Thanksgiving in America, but it's a very nice. It's Christmas a Christmas movie. Well. Yeah. How about yours, Matt? So the reason I said mine was controversial is because I recently had the opportunity with my um, I have a six-year-old son, and uh, all the Studio Ghibli films have been put on Netflix. Mm. I think at the beginning of this last year. And um, I had watched uh, maybe 98% of them, you know, um, since I was a youngster. Yeah. Um, but re-watching them with him, which has been an incredible experience, you know, watching watching a child kind of experience these beautiful, beautiful, amazing stories for the first time. Um, my, my selection is uh, is all of them. The, the, the Studio Ghibli over things like Spirited Away, My Neighbor oh, Totoro. okay, okay, okay. Um, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Winds, which was very, very poorly, yeah. poorly translated into American uh, in the in the 80s. Um, they're all made by a Japanese studio called Studio Ghibli, um, okay. which is kind of run by very visionary um, mm. storytellers and, and animators. Yeah, and the, the all of their films are now on on Netflix. I saw that. Uh, Princess, yeah. Princess Mononoke, yeah. Howl's Moving Castle. I mean, my, many um, of them are on Eber's Great Movie List as well. By the way. They're, they're astonishing films. Mm. They're astonishing films. And like I said, I've been very lucky to, to kind of rewatch them through a child's eyes. Um, yeah. And they're, 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 I mean, look, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. Anyone who's, who's kind of listening to this podcast mm. kind of knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but, in, but in general, if you've never watched, <laughs> you know, um, My Neighbors, the Yamadas, or mm. go, you know, just – these incredible, incredible films that they've been putting out for about 30 years now. Yeah. More, more, shit. Probably no, th- about 40, 45 it's, years. It's on my watch list because I, I I, think what initially put me off many years ago from these movies is that I'm just not a fan of, and again, this is, and I'm not saying this is the genre, but I think as an ignorant Westerner, I associated those movies with anime. And I really don't yeah. like anime. Yeah, no, and so and they're it put not. me off. They really, really aren't. And then eventually I realized, okay, no, I mean, it's it's a bit simplistic to see everything coming out of Japan as anime. No, it's it's astonishing stuff. I mean, it's mm. it's magical realism. Like Porco Rosso is like a, a an Italian sure. fighter pilot from World War Two gets transformed into a pig. Yeah, and no one seems to notice this. You know, I think it's the magic. Or, I mean, it's this is a tradition of Japanese magic realism, which is very adjacent to. The original um, Spanish and Italian yeah. magic realism. Yeah, and, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you for know, sure. those kind of fundamental magical realism mm. concepts. 
Um, I mean, everyone loved Spirited Away. That was like a, I think it actually even possibly was nominated for Oscars and things it like was, that. It was, yeah. But there's, but there's an enormous uh, body of work mm. that you can go into that is, you know, outside of those things. Mm. Castle in the Sky is a I think, I think the, the highest rated one from an Ebert point of view, now that we're, well, I'm on the topic of yeah, view, is yeah. uh, Princess Mononoke. Which is a beautiful, beautiful film. It's it's very dark. Like it's mm. a it's actually quite a dark film that uh, we struggle to watch. You know, with one with young children, but you kind of it, it's very rewarding. Um, yeah. You know, there's a there's a, there's one called The Wind Rises, which is about um, the Japanese designer of the of the Zero fighter plane. Okay, and that doesn't sound in itself like very good content for a, a an animated film. Mm. But it's it's beautiful. It's just a stunningly stunningly created piece of art. Nice one. Sorry, I I, th- I feel like I'm going on a bit, but let's. No, um, I think it's worth to- it. I, I think everyone listening to this podcast, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Okay. Okay, let's All move right. on Do to we- something a little different. So we haven't really ever touched upon this, although I think in future episodes we will, which is our yeah. geekery around music. Um, mm. I, I honestly think that geekery, as defined by myself circa 2021 is um it's not just about sci-fi fantasy and all the usual suspects but it's i think it's about getting into stuff in a way which is deeper and more obsessive than is generally regarded as normal yeah Um, i agree with that and i think that music is such a thing for me i mean i seek out obscure music i i am friends with people who like obscure music and share it with me um i also like historical music i uh, you know i love i am a collector of for instance very old and obscure blues recordings i mean um, if you want to make me happy find me something in the smithsonian you know cultural archives about blues and i'm you'll you'll be my friend forever yeah so and that is that in itself is very geeky you know that's a very you know this kind of obsession with these obscure works getting into stuff as we say yeah so, so yeah, exactly. our next category is music related, and is your artist or band of the year, which in a way is the the one you most listen to. Let's face it, yeah, one you kind of return to. It's not something released this year necessarily, although it can be, but it's the one which you know. If you what's on your um, heavy rotation, well, the one that batted onto like every every um, playlist that you've got. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's on all of them. Yeah, what's your heavy rotation song of the year? Yeah, or band yeah. of the year? Yeah. So, so, so I, I have two. Um, my first one is not an obscure band uh, to people who listen to music, but probably obscure in the kind of greater popular culture. Um, it's a band called Neutral Milk Hotel, and mm. they had a, a seminal album called In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. What a beautiful face I have found in this place that is circling all around the sun. What a beautiful Which, dream. Uh, from what I understand, was written pretty much entirely from the point of view of uh, the, the, the main artist of um, of Neutral Milk Hotel, the, main, right. the, the lead singer, who, um, who, who dreamt a lot about um, uh, Anne Frank. Yeah. And he, he dreamt that he had married her and he dreamt up songs about her and he kind of had this weird obsession about her. And I think something like five out of the ten or so tracks on this album are, are really about her. Um, and I, you know, I listened to that incessantly of the kind of the first portion of this year. It was 
Uh, I had listened to it probably back in the early 2000s, late 90s when it was released, uh, because I was very much into kind of that uh, very obscure, weird folk rock type stuff. Mm. Um, but I kind of rediscovered it. Um, he's got uh, two songs in particular. One's called O Comely, which is from that album, which is kind of like an eight or nine minute tour de force of a man with an acoustic guitar just pouring his heart out. It's just unbelievable. Um, and then another one that he released as a on another album called Ferris Wheel on Fire, which is also just a startling, startling work. Um, but the 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 band that I listen to the most, or, or artist I listen to the most this year, um, is a it's a song a singer songwriter called Jason Molina. And Jason Molina was a very tragic figure in kind of the American Midwest. You know, born in a trailer park and uh, okay. uh, kind of learned to play guitar on the you know broken down shores of Lake Michigan or whatever it might have been. Um, and he had a number of bands during the years, but he had one in particular that kind of was quite revered in those scenes, especially at that time, which was kind of the early 2000s, called Songs Ohio. called Electric Magnolia Company, which for the, I'd say the last six months or so has been in pretty much constant rotation uh, in my car and uh, on my phone. And it's something I can't get away from. It's helped me through some pretty difficult personal times this year. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it's a startling piece of work. It's it's And I mean startling in the most purest sense. It's something that people will listen to and it'll disturb you by, yeah. by its clarity and its and its honesty you know it's uh, I, I highly recommend both those artists neutral milk hotel and and uh, jason molina if you if you are in any way interested in music that matters um but those are my two artists of the year absolutely yeah cool that's, one that's nice one that's mine what's what where, no, thanks where for that, man. um Look, I mean, I've been listening to alt folk and folk rock for a very long time now, and I, I kind of find myself, apart from the blues, always returning to that genre. And so my band of the year is definitely the Bar Brothers. But there, I mean, if you want to start listening to them, I would recommend the, uh, the EP Sleeping Operator from 2014, um, which is probably their most. So they've been going for a while. Yeah, no, for sure. They're still going. And, and it, uh, Sleeping Operator is probably their most regarded album to date. Just wonderful root music, uh, alt folk music. I mean, it's just something which uh, I think just like lifts you up when you listen to it without being, you know, Pollyanna ish. Um, 
it's got mature themes, but it's got excellent musicianship. So it's it's I've been very excited about the sort of alt folk movement coming out of America the last couple of years now, and the Bar Brothers really I feel are really really seminal examples of kind of at the forefront there. Yeah, so really good stuff. I mean, I haven't actually they're one of those bands which you just don't see bad songs coming from you know out of them. You, know, you listen to every new song, and it's like yeah, this is pretty good. This is excellent. Uh, there are no duds in their album. So. So that's one. And then the other one, which is a tie for me, is actually a blues artist, but where he goes a little bit more hip-hop. And a little-known fact about uh, Harper is that he is into the hip-hop. Yeah, he, he does. He likes to hop. Adjacent to my grunge um, life, which I had also in the, in the 90s, uh, Matt, I also had a bit of a hip-hop thing going on. And I listened to to guys like uh, KRS uh, and... Um, NWA and those people, and it uh, had an effect on me. And um, Chris Thomas King is the artist I would pick. The album which was on heavy rotation for me is Dirty South Hip Hop from 2002. It's like this, y'all. It's like this, it's like this, Down to the crossroads, but all I found was a tree in a dusty road. I was looking for the devil. I put down my shelf. I started thinking on a higher level. He appeared at the county. And Chris Thomas King will be known to you if you have ever watched O Brother with Otdow from the Cohen Brothers. Yeah. He is Tommy. No way, the guitarist. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's crazy. And, uh, that's Chris Thomas King. So, and he has been a blues artist for many years and he's experimented with different varieties of blues. Dirty South Hip Hop is one of his most regarded albums where he combines blues with hip hop and it's pretty hard hitting. It's, it's some good stuff. It's, I would, I would put it on uh, par with when Ice-T experimented with, with heavy metal in, yeah. you know, in the nineties <laughs> as well, where he combined Cross, it. Crossover. Um, Worth listening to Dirty South Hip Hop 2002. Check it out. That's um that's very interesting, Marcel. I must say, I, I did I did know you were a bit of a hip hop head. Um, yeah. But um, you're always kind of rediscovering these obscure and lost gems, you know. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, that was on heavy rotation for me. It's it's the sort of music you can just listen to while doing anything. It just clears your mind, which I think is very hip hop does exceptionally well. I think we've got a we've got a couple of questions mm. left, but should we open a beer while we talk about it? Let's do it. So this is the final beer of the day. Um, so for those of you who are are really joining us in this marathon session, um, you can breathe a sigh of relief that we're almost done. Yeah, the, the fucking end is in sight. Yeah, Jesus. the torture is almost finished. Mm, you're welcome, guys. The whippings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> And this is a IPA again, which we will be adding to our leaderboard. And it is from the same brewery as uh, the one we wax lyrical about today, which is Juicy Lucy. It's Devil's Peak Brewery. Um, this is, I guess it's a limited release, but it looks as though this is going to be on their production list from now on. And, I've seen this for quite a while, yeah. I must say. I have, I, I've seen it um, on the shelves pretty much nonstop. Yeah, yeah, I suspect this is part of their production, uh, their production range. And this is the Blockhouse IPA Grapefruit Edition. So we have already mm. reviewed the regular um, Blockhouse, and it the came out Blockhouse, pretty the, well. The OG Blockhouse. OG Blockhouse, I think, is in fact in the middle of our list as it stands. Yeah, 
Yeah, where it deserves to be. I mean, it's a granddaddy. You got to give it some respect, but it's been mm. surpassed. There's new new contenders now. You know, granddaddy's so still, you know, still listening to fucking, you know, straight out of Compton. But we're we've moved on from there. <laughs> yeah, you got to you know NWO were there, but you know you get you get people who kind of improve the formula a little bit. Yeah, so, just like Astronautless. So, I mean, There's another drop for me if you haven't listened to Astronautless. That's oh, a geez, hell of a hip hop band. My God! Please, please, please keep name dropping as much as possible. Okay, so so grapefruit IPA design-wise, Matt, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, it's the Devil's Peak standard, mm. isn't it? This um, is their new much, standard design. I mean, it's I still miss their old labels. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's functional. It's, it's functional. I just wish they had kept the their old labels and maybe just rifted yeah. on those a little bit more because they were beautiful illustrative labels. Yeah. This is like icon- My, iconographic labels, I guess, is what the design ethic would be. Yeah, yeah. But that's um, the problem as well. Is it supposed to be like, icons a, a are, king, like a... Is it supposed to be... I think it's supposed to be like a king on a pack of cards or something like that. Sure, and that has it's, always it's, it's been that kind their of thing. design, you know. Yeah, but if you look at the illustrative labels, that was their thing. It was a card. Um, so yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, but they've kind of made it now a little bit more... It's like iconographic, right? Well, it's it's like weird. icons. Like the sword and stuff, it's an it's an icon you could download and put on your PowerPoint presentation, sort of thing. So I mean, they they talk about how it's uh, basically a compliment to the king, which would be right. a, you know a compliment to the king's blockhouse. So yeah. I assume this is basically them saying you know the king's blockhouse is the like we've said the OG, mm. and this is this is them giving a little spin on it to pay tribute in some way or another. You know, mm. my my biggest issue with this was that the first time I bought it, which was a maybe a year ago, was I wasn't able to tell the fact that this was the grapefruit version. I thought it was just the King's Blockhouse mm. IPA. So yeah. when I got home and I started drinking it, I thought there was something very, very wrong. Right. With <laughs> with my King's Blockhouse until yeah. I kind of I was like, oh okay. Look, I think is, the, the original King's Blockhouse back in the day was very cascade forward, which was the the C hop which was most used in IPAs back then. Um, and Cascade is known to be ruby grapefruit flavored. I mean, that is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's um, its jam, yeah. And so since then, their their hobble has increased in complexity, and here they're adding actual grapefruit. So my guess would be they would add the grapefruit rind, um, maybe to the boil, I would think. Late boil would be my guess, um, just to, to kick up that grapefruit note. So yeah, it's technically it's a speciality can... IPA added with fruit, Style-wise, but um, it's still IPA, obviously. I they, am they don't record, around with the with the smell of the grapefruit. They really don't. Yeah, I'm on record for liking grapefruit generally as a thing. So this this beer is is a danger for me because it, it, it I'm vulnerable to its conceits. So I'm hoping so, that you uh, can bring some objectivity to this shit. You're so basically you're just a slut for whatever they're going to put out as long as it's got grapefruit in it. Yeah, I mean, there's you're, another... You're, you're, you're critical, your critical senses give up compli- completely when you, there's some grapefruit. Yeah, and, and I mean, there is another uh, brewery which makes a fantastic grapefruit IPA, which is um, Brewdog, the Scottish punk IPA, uh, craft brewery. And they make a, a beer called Elvis Juice, which is their IPA with grapefruit. And that is perhaps one of the finest IPAs I've ever had. In fact, I would love us to have that someday. 
Because sure, I suspect... you get us some you get us some brew dogs, bud. Where on earth is that going to happen? I'm going to get it, man. I'm going to get it. Okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever. It used to be here in South Africa, so it's just a matter of time. But um, that was for me one of the finest IPAs of its time. Now I don't know if I would still rate it that way, but so anything. I mean, it makes sense, you know. Like in some way, there's two philosophies about adding things to your IPA. The one is to accentuate the hops you have, so that's sort of the lactose idea. The other is to to contrast it against something else, which is often the maltier IPAs, which you get in the European IPA yeah. style. And then there's something to enhance the flavor you already have, which is yeah, the grapefruit Yeah, obviously idea. where this is sitting. You know, yeah. This is kind of the, the complementary idea. We've got that kind of grapefruit um, back end. Let's, let's, make, let's mm. make subtext text. Absolutely. Oh, I like that. Subtext. So what you, you, you bring up some top shelf philosophy out there. You, you're welcome, buddy. You write that down. So what do you what do you think on the nose? Nose is very fruity, very um, very fruity, very grapefruit. Almost almost a little bit fermented fruit flavor for me, um, like yeah. you get in a cider. Yeah, like there's a dankness to it. Uh, there's a sharpness to this. There's a I wouldn't. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm very careful with my language here because I know brewers are sensitive to it, and so when I say things like acetone. That's a, a warning sign for people as a flaw, but what I mean here is it's got a slightly medicinal um, note for me, like a fermented fruit medicinal yeah, note. Yeah, which it's is just, yeah, it's like fruit gone too far. Yeah, exactly, and and it's not necessarily unlikely to have that if you add fruit to your beer. Um, that's going to happen, especially if you. Uh, smell, that's why I, I sort of suspect exactly they added it about. to the boil. Um, if you add fruit to the boil, you're likely to get this sort of uh, slightly. But do you do you think they've added actual grapefruit? Oh yeah, yeah, no, into sure. the yeah. Oh, it actually says. Oh, right, you're right. Grapefruit. Look, yeah, it depends. Right. You can. It wasn't just a hops thing. It's, this yeah. is an actual fruit thing. All right. Yeah. Well, then that yeah, then that explains what we're smelling. I mean, uh, there's two ways of doing it. Mostly, is you can either add it in the boil, which is going to produce more jammy sort of fruit flavors, as you would expect. And then there's something where you want to add bright fruit flavors, which is where you're going to use it in the fermenter. So almost like you would yeah. do a dry hop, you would yeah. add fruit juice or whole fruit in the fermenter. After sterilizing, of course, with steam or some other way. Um, because fruit is a very common carrier for wild yeast. So I don't know. Like I'm, I'm unsure the, about the, where the, they added. They may have added this in the fermenter, actually, to produce the, much the, more the, obvious the grapefruit is, flavor. I mean, look at it from the perspective, like, you know, if you cook with lemon, you know, that's something that, that we've all done. If you if you cook a lemon hard, like you roast yeah. uh, a half a lemon, you tend to get out the pithy flavors. You get the bitterness, the, the astringency, the acidity. Um, if you cook with the juice and mm. you and it's part of like a sauce or something like that, you get a lot of the sweeter flavors, mm. the, the higher notes. 100%. So, what I'm what I'm smelling here is more of the pithy notes. It's mm. it's it's more of a, a, a long cooked. You you've gotten more of the the mm. the, the, the cells to break down. Sure. So that, 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 that could kind also of depth be of the flavor. Um, cascade hops. So it's difficult to separate those out. Yeah. Um. So it's, I I would love to have a chat with them and, and ask them when where and how do they add the grapefruit. But what Matt just said, by the way, homebrewers who are listening in, is exactly right. I mean, sometimes I find that like in homebrewing when when we deal with fruit additions to beer it becomes almost like a mystical thing but it's not there's nothing mysterious about it it's exactly like you would do in cooking if you if you want a jammy heavy you know stewed fruit flavor you would add your fruit in the beginning of whatever you're making in a dish mm. 
if you want a bright fruit flavor, that's where you squeeze the fresh lemon over your fish right, just yeah. before you give it to someone to eat. That's going to give you a bright fruit flavor. And, and in brewing, it's the same thing. You know, whether you're going to yeah. boil it in the kettle or whether you're going to add it during fermentation, like a dry hopping addition is going to be the same sort of analogy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, hundred percent. Okay, and now what? What do you think, Marcel? The, the color is a, a mm. very kind of light straw. Light, um, yeah. It's it's sort of yeah, straw to light golden. Uh, good head retention very little here. Carbonation, yeah. Good head retention. There's a bit of good lacing there. Mm. Um, I think it's pretty decently carbonated. I mean, the devil's oh, peak. Most of the devil's peak years we know. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, and it's um, yeah, it's very uniform carbonation. It's it's very nice. What do you think it tastes like? What is? You know, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I do like it. I, I do like its bitterness. It's got very bright fruit flavors. I can definitely taste the grapefruit. It does taste as though Definitely. It's yeah. like a slice of grapefruit in my beer, you know. It's, it's, That's exactly right. Yeah. It's coming across very well. So in that sense, they've accomplished their objective of, of making it a grapefruit IPA. Um. But there's something there for me which doesn't quite bring it to fruition. I think the, if I had to compare it to something like the Elvis juice from Brewdog, they've somehow integrated the brightness of the grapefruit a little bit better. Here it's almost like the, the, the fruit of the grapefruit is fighting the fruit of the hops. Do you, do you feel that? Like, do you f like because I, I, I do feel there's something missing. It does feel like there's a disconnect between the grapefruit flavor and the hops itself. But I'm not sure what could bridge that gap. Hmm. My guess is that they're not using enough late hopping here to complement the grapefruit. They may it, it tastes as though they're having the grapefruit do the work of hops. Yeah, yeah, that's very like like we could have we could have pumped up the bitterness in the late hop a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem is that they have too much early hop bitterness um, and not enough late hop flavor. To, to complement the grapefruit. So you've got, a, exactly a, you've got a, quite a bitter beer here, definitely a bitter beer, very IPA-ish. But the, the grapefruit is almost doing all the heavy lifting, which doesn't quite uh, get there. Yeah, it loses a lot of the crunch. You mm. know, it loses a lot of that kind of depth and complexity of mm. the back end. Yeah, and, and exactly um, that is what fruit can and cannot do for your beer. Uh, fruit in beer can add a lot of flavor, a lot of, Fruitiness, obviously, uh, sourness, even, and so on, but it doesn't do as much as hops uh, can do. It doesn't have that layering effect. Yeah, it's a. I think you know, it's not a bad beer. It's, it's also very easily drinkable. I must oh, say, yeah. it's a. You know, you can have it. It's sessionable. I think yeah. My my issue with this beer is not that it's bad. It's that there's a bit of a missed opportunity there to create a more complex and substantial beer on the back end. Indeed. Um. Um, it, it might have been a way to, uh, how do you say, lighten the King's Blockhouse, you know. It might have been a way to alleviate some of the the, the depth that you've got in that IPA um, by exchanging a lot of the flavor for the fruit. Yeah. And uh, that, that does tend to be where I think this has gone. But I really would have liked to have had that depth at the same time. Mm, mm. I agree. I mean, I've got a figure in mind. At the expense of the easy drinkingness, you know. I've got, a, I've got a figure in mind. It's one of my yeah, obscure gonna... uh, fractions again. I just want to warn you. Oh my God! Is this like a seven point four eight nine? No, no. I'm, I'm thinking 
the, the fractions of five, okay? I think five is a good thing. Well, then why are you going? We've had some two fives today. No, that's five. Just, two fives is five. just making up. It's got a five in it. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> it's a fraction in, so, in the sense of a quarter or three quarters, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to argue this with you. What's your, what's your score for this? What's so, your score So for I'm this? giving it a solid 6.75. Which okay. um, puts it okay. on par for me for the Moyonier IPA. Definitely yep. not as nice as the normal OG Kings Blockhouse, which I gave a seven for. Um, yep. So it's underneath that, but it's still very drinkable. I could easily have quite a few of these without any trouble. Um, on a hot day, or in the right food pairing as well. If you, yep. if you anything which was going to pair well with fruit, so chocolate. Definitely. This is a. I've had this, this with, very nice with, with chocolate, dark actually. chocolates, and it's really nice. Yeah, yeah I can um, imagine that. That's a, that could actually sound like a, that liqueur kind of flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I could definitely do so that. So anything yeah. you would conceivably have with a grapefruit would go exceptionally well with this. So, so I don't remember what I gave the original King's Block car, so I assume a 7.5. Um, you gave it an 8. I'm going to... Oh, you're Nate. Oh, mm. well, that's that's fair. Yeah, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this below that, unfortunately, just because mm. you lose a lot of the complexity of the King's Blockhouse. What made it popular in the first yeah. place? Um, it's still very easy drinking. It's still a very mm. good beer. I'm gonna give it a seven. Cool. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And I think, as we've spoken of before in in previous episodes, you've got a. It's a difficult choice as a brewer when you add a flavor which mimics one of the primary ingredients of your beer. Um, yeah. We've spoken about that when you talked about, let's say, coffee stouts and coffee porters. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, there are malts which really do replicate the flavor of coffee and so and chocolate. So the, the case for adding things like chocolate or um, coffee to your beer becomes a little bit problematic because you've already got ingredients which do that very successfully. Yeah, and then it's, then it's a balancing question. Then it's a yeah. question of... And and Devil's Peak have obviously taken the route of let's remove a lot of those competing mm. flavors from the hops and let the fruit shine, which is fine in itself. Yeah. But you lose, the, but you lose the complexity. I you think it's a debate. That, you, you've got to think no, carefully. Like, do I? No. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got to have a good justification for adding those flavors uh, to add something special. To- Elvis juice, for instance, from Brewdog, which I don't find in this book. Yeah, look, in a way, it's in a way, it's disappointing because I, I expect the King's Blockhouse, and I'm not getting it, but I'm getting its kind of poorer cousin. Yeah, you know, and it's and 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 I get it. I do, I do get this beer, and it's not a unlikable beer. No, it's a pleasant beer, and I can drink it, and that's that's all great. But that's not the only thing we're looking for in these mm. beers. Mm. We're looking for a little bit more. We're looking for that sparkle, that 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 thing that makes you go, "Wow, this has mm. entertained me. This has given me pleasure." And um, the grapefruit IPA, I like it, but I don't like it that much. I think our ratings suggest that. I think the it's going to put it in the middle, lower um, sort of range. Yeah. Um, for our yeah, ratings. which is where where I think it kind of deserves to be. Mm. You know. I think the greatest upset for today is that Juicy Lucy has become the best IPA we've ever had. I I am so glad about that. Mm. I've been drinking this beer, like I say, for 
five or six years now, and I'm never failed to be astounded by it. No. It's just, and I, look, I, I'm, they have obviously amended the recipe somewhat and done their thing, but everything that they've done about it has been spot on. It has been absolutely spot on. I can't, I cannot fault it. Yeah. No, it's an exceptional beer. And I mean, wow, what a, what a joy. And certainly yeah. you should argue for us uh, putting that as a production beer, the Devil's Peak. Yeah, if, um, yeah, if it isn't already, absolutely. I, I think it's too good to reserve to a seasonal. Well, why don't we finish this off, Marcel? Let's so we've got a couple it. of questions left, not a lot. Let's whip through it. Um, um, I would say we've got one question left from our popular culture section, right. which is our favorite video game of the year. That's a good one. I, I'm interested so in that. I mean, Matt, little known fact about you and I is that we are video game yeah, geeks. Yeah, I know. We, we never bring it up, but I mean, for our sins, yes, we do tend to game. I'm like I am unashamedly addicted to video games. I, I first learned this when I was a youngster at the local bowling alley, and I, I obsessively yeah. spent all my money on Gauntlet. You remember yeah. Gauntlet? Well, yeah, of course. Oh, holy shit. It of was course. a four-player arcade game. Food. Four players, simultaneous. It was amazing. I was a very good warrior in that particular uh, game. I was always picking that, that character. Pumping 20-cent coins into that machine. like it was 20-cent coins, man. Shit. And and even yeah, pinball. I, I used to love pinball. I was a bit of a pinball fanatic. Ah, uh, no. See, pinball was always too uh, mechanical for me. I liked to mm. think there was a computer but pinball became digital, man. There was a Star Wars pinball game, which I loved, which had, like, TIE fighters you had to shoot at and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and... I, I remember it. I remember it. I remember it very well, actually. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, spending days at the arcade, man. Like it, uh, like you said, at the bowling alley, there used mm. to be the, the line of arcade machines. Of, yeah. Dig Dug and Gauntlets and Centipede. Uh, remember the ball? Centipede that and ball controller. Uh, Ridge Ray. Yeah, yeah, I do remember the ball controller. I do. Yeah. I very much do. So, okay. So, with that in mind, as a gamer, Marcel, yeah. please really tell me what your game of the year is. So, mine is, uh, it was actually, once I started thinking about it, it was very obviously. It, it was the game which I most enjoyed in, in the sense of the atmospherics. The, the emotions it evoked because gaming for me is I think what, what video games are able to do is evoke emotion in a way which is very yeah. similar to movies absolutely um, and and the very best video games are the ones which are approaching a work of art where you you're playing it and, and halfway through playing yeah. it you realize oh I'm actually a participant I'm in having this an work experience of art. right now yeah. yeah yeah for sure um, and it's capturing some fundamental part of me or fundamental experience I'm having right now in this world, um, which I can connect to. And yeah. so for me, hands down, actually, I mean, like I, there were some good, good games coming out throughout the last couple of years. So it's difficult. Yeah, for me there's to, been some exceptional, exceptional stuff. Yeah, you know, I will hands down select the video game of the year is The Long Dark. Oh shit! Mm. Survival horror, my friend. Yeah. What Survival a, horror. It is a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. It is It is a beautiful, game. I mean, beautiful, everything beautiful about game, it is yeah. beautiful. The art, the music. The music is exceptional. The yeah. storyline. I've only played the story section of the game. There's another sort of hardcore survival version. Correct. There's a survival mode, yeah. Um, I flirted with that a little bit, but I like the story. The story is compelling. It's It's got so many good elements, and there's a, a sense of achievement and satisfaction when yeah. you actually survive, which I've never felt in another video game. It's it's a hard game, dude. It's a it's difficult, hard. difficult game. It's hard, and that and is not a that it does not hold your hand at any no. point in time. 
But you know what? Despite it being hard, because there are many, many, and if you're a, a, a veteran gamer, you'll know what I'm talking about. There are many games out there which are good and you will play them to the end, but there are always parts in that game which are so frustrating or so punishing that you yeah. feel like, I'm going to quit this game. And and sometimes you leave it for a few weeks and you return to it. And, and you, you come back to it, yeah. And sure, you succeed, sure. right? Or you go read the walkthrough on you know Google and you, you figure out what to do. And and that always, for me, is a major tick against the game, is if it's got too many of those impossible or frustrating sections where you feel, I'm just grinding. I'm just grinding to get yeah. past this fucking section. Those are the best video games. The best yeah. video games is where, whether you live or die, is predicated entirely on your ability mm. as a person. Not on whether there's a jump scare or whether or not they've introduced some An impossible sponge challenge. monster or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, it doesn't feel it's like because they're... you make the wrong decision That's or right. you are not capable exactly. of fulfilling this. Exceptional you know? game. No, hundred percent. No, what what a, what a great choice. What an absolutely great choice. That uh, I that is that that was definitely in my top ten for this year mm. as well. I actually start, I think I started it last year. To be entirely honest, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a great great great. What's yours, man? Okay. Okay, well, I mean, I just want to give a shout out to a game that I did play, mm. and it wasn't my game of the year, but it was so close to it. And it's a tiny indie game called Suzerain, right? Which is a p- political simulator, but unlike anything I've ever played before, it was it's dialogue driven. It's like the things you say to people influence your choices. Fourteen hours late in the game, it's wow. just a beautiful, nice little clever. RPG with no stats, you know, mm. it's yeah, lovely game. But my actual game of the year is something that I've played on and off now, and, and I try to convert you to it as well, Marcel. Um, it's and it's been it's a labor of love, I think, for the developers because they've been they've been adding to it and yeah. building out and creating stuff, you know, for five or six years now. But it's No Man's Sky. Mm. No Man's Sky. It's the the freest I've ever felt in and any I've sci-fi played that game. A, quite just, a, I thought you were going to select another game which i haven't played is um it's a it's a phenomenal piece of work yeah. and it's in and now and it's now reached epic proportions no, it's incredible. in terms and, of your yeah. ability to do things and your ability to explore and mm. I, mean, I mean literally find planets that no one has ever fucking visited it's despite amazing tens of millions of people playing this game simultaneously yeah. you know, i agree i think a, no man's sky is an achievement that that, that sheer freedom mm. to do what you want and build what you want and find what you want I mean, down to the level that you can name the creatures that you find on individual planets. It's just, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's long overdue that, that you have that kind of, I mean, we've played games like Minecraft and Terraria mm. and those kind of things where you've got that kind of freedom, but having a sci-fi aspect and, you know, building your ship and meeting alien races and learning their languages and things yeah. like that is just so fulfilling and open world, mm. like open world in the proper yeah. sense of the world, not open world like, Grand Theft Auto, where you can phone your cousins to go bowling. I mean, yeah. open world, like, it's unlimited. Yeah, it feels yeah. very unlimited. It, it's the feeling it creates more than yeah. the actuality necessarily. And I think that, yeah. I mean, I mean, the closest experience to that game I've ever had is Minecraft. It's the, yes. I can write yeah. anything and do anything I like. That's exactly it. I can build what I want. I can do what I want. I can be who I want. Yeah. Okay, so that's our gaming section, Marcel. Yeah. Um, I, I feel wanna, if nothing else, leave... Matt, we revealed that we probably should dedicate an entire show one day to games. To to games, yeah, man. Yes, it's because we, we go way back. Mm. We go way back in this game. Way community. back.
wish list there for 2022? What are you what, what are you looking forward to? There's one one thing really which I would like, and and that's my wish list beer. Is I would love to see a really good, super bitter, bright, hop forward double IPA produced locally. That's what I want to okay. see. I want to see. Okay. I want to see a South African version of Ruination from Stone, or yeah, the yeah, yeah. or the ninety minute IPA from Dog Dogfish Head. Um, those sort of beers. You know, I, I'd like to see a very hop head IPA, totally out of control hop forward mm. double IPA it's still balanced but still incredibly hoppy with yeah. with and I, I I'm not going to pick it up if it doesn't say IBU 100 plus on the label yeah sure no you that's know? fair that's absolutely fair I, I, I endorse it it's, it's actually strange I've got a a similar wish list beer, mm. um which is I, I'm I'm looking for I'm looking to regain the feeling I felt when I had the first fresh hop IPA from Jack Black right that um you know, the, I've written here Fresh Hop IPA 2022, you know. Yeah. Looking for that 2018 Fresh Hop, mm. that that balanced bitterness, that, that upfront hops, that, yeah. you know, that, that kind of smack in the face. No, it was an amazing the, beer. It was, a, yeah, it was a, it was an unbeatable beer. And that's that's my wish list beer for 2022. If they pop out another Fresh Hop IPA, mm. um, I'd, I would really, I want them to go back to their roots and then just double everything. Well, I think we must look out for 2022's uh, Fresh Hop because they do seem to bring it out every year. So we'll review yeah. it on here. So we'll look at that. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to see happen in craft beer in 2022? I think that my wish is really to see more partnerships between um, local breweries and local arts, crafts, and cultural you know, producers. So I'd love to see more craft breweries partnering with local artists you know, fine artists for their labels. Uh, go partner with a food truck in your neighborhood for your events. Yeah. Um, see what you can do, yeah. you know, like even so simple integration things. Integration is what you're talking integration, about. Integration, right? So local ingredients. Go speak to the farmers in your area to see if they're not willing to grow some barley for you, grow some wheat for you, grow yeah. some hops for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, be a more locavore type of uh, brewer. You know, go speak to your local guys who are making furniture. Right, and and make sure that your furniture in your brew pub um, is made by those people, and not yeah. just something you bought at a local. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the pun- it's the punk ethos. Store. It's the punk mm. ethos. That's what craft beer is supposed to be. Yeah, become more local yeah. and integrate with these people because they are yeah. hungry for it, as are you. And I think that and, and, yeah, to and people are yeah, hungry is the right word. You know, they're looking for outlets, and mm. you're looking to make a great experience. And so I think why, South African. Why the hell wouldn't you do that? Exactly, and I think South African arts and crafts have evolved to an extent that I really don't think there's anything in your brewery right now which you couldn't conceivably, except maybe for the equipment, the main brewery. I know that the international stuff's still better, maybe. But, I mean, yeah. everything else, like everything else in your brewery, yeah. in your brew pub, doesn't have to come from anywhere else but, like, you know, 50 kilometers away from me. Around, exactly, around your actual place of operations mm. there's no there's no reason to do anything else 100 percent. okay my, um, what i'd like to see happen in craft beer is i'd like to see more craft beers get into pubs i'd like to see them i'd like to see their taps in my pubs yeah you know i would like i said i was down in um in the in the western cape mm. marzner plate um we didn't go to a single place where there wasn't the opportunity to buy craft beer on tap sure. and 
why is that not in Joburg? Yeah. Why is that? This is this is the commerce hub of the country and possibly the continent. Yeah. Why why is it so difficult to get these things into established pubs? Mm. And I'm not talking about specifically craft beer pubs. I know that there's lots of those. I'm talking about why is it difficult to get this into a keg or an yeah. everyday or, or pub. a baron or mm. yeah, absolutely. The guys that people are going to every day, so that we can get the guy who orders mm. Castle Lager or Castle Light draft every mm. single time he walks in get those guys to change their minds and i mean you know i've said it in in the past episode that if if sa pills from soul barrel were available i mean we would be solely responsible for drinking about a keg a week of that stuff in easily easily easily, sign us up for that it wouldn't even be a competition (laughs) yeah okay matt we're um just about finished with the podcast uh, but we're moving into the final part sad i know sad. sad I'm, I'm I, terribly I, sad. We try and make these into bumper editions in the end of the year because, you know, so many people really do secretly hate spending Christmas with their families. And we'd like them to be able to listen to this whilst pretending to partake in the Christmas festivities. That that works for me. Rather listen to a beer podcast than actually have to talk to the Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Just smile and nod. Smile and nod. <laughs> wow, you just <laughs> described my entire management style. Exactly. So let's move on to one of our final questions, which is actually the big, big question, which we've left to the end. What is your brewery of the year of 2021, Matt? So mine was actually quite an easy choice. Mm. Mine, um, we've tasted their beers um, on more than one occasion. I have specifically gone out to get some of them after we tasted them because they were so damn good. We uh, were very happy with their branding. Mm. Um, they're doing some interesting stuff. And by some interesting stuff, I mean they're doing some fucking exceptional stuff. Yeah. Um, my brewery of the year is Soul Barrel. Well, you know, you and I have 100% overlap there, my friend. Yeah. My brewery of the year yeah. is Soul Barrel as well. There we go. I knew that was coming. It, it couldn't. Who else is it going to be? Who, I mean, else is I, doing, I would who else do, is doing what they're doing? Absolutely. I mean, I would do an honorable mention for Devil's Peak uh, in the sense of just having the, the Juicy Lucy and still making a good beer. Yeah, but you know what? I'm sure Devil's Peak are getting kind of tired of winning Brewer of the Year every fucking year. True. You know? No, Soul Barrel for me is Brewer of the Year hands down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hands down. I, I, I have not had as pleasant experience tasting the range of a brewery's beers as I did tasting Soul Barrels. Yep. No, I agree. No, Sobra, well done. Nick Smith, you are the man. And we are only excited about seeing what's happening in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild ride. I must say, I'm, so, you know, I've, having only been exposed to you guys quite recently and um, seeing what you guys are putting out, it is very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. And on a personal note, seeing the care and quality that you put into every aspect of the beer production process from that first fermentation all the way to getting it into a bottle and then putting a logo on that bottle is very, very mm. cool. I think very, it's the attention cool. to detail and the, the the craft ethic which they espouse, you know, and live with. Um, you know, it's, it's local ingredients. It's using what you have. I mean, yeah. it's all these things which just really make me feel tremendous love for that brewery. Absolutely. And you're right. It's the punk ethos. It's like, this is where we live. 
make use of our homegrown ingredients to do interesting and cool stuff. Yeah. And make people make exceptional things that people get excited about and keep doing it over and over again. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's I, I, that without a doubt, I didn't even have to think about this. Soul yeah. Barrel definitely are, are, are the winners this year. No, it was a slam dunk um, for me as well. And I think one day, Matt, in the very near future, we should really try and just broadcast an episode from there, you and I. I would love that. Yeah. I would absolutely that nice? love that. If they, if they will have us, if they will have us, mm. I will do it. Do near the wells of the crop brewing industry. Yeah, if they, yeah, if they're willing to allow us in, because let's yeah. let's face it, that's we uh, probably will tarnish any brand which is associated with us, <laughs> ever associated with them yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, uh, look, it's the two drunk guys who talk shit for mm. four hours. No, I think cool. that's a good one. Uh, I think that's a good one. I think let's let's make that an aspirational stretch goal for next year. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Cool. I'm in. Let's let, find out where the Knicks in as well. Um, I've got a, a surprise category for you, Matt, and that is. What is your Christmas beer, which you're going to have at your Christmas lunch or dinner, depending on what you have as as your tradition? Mm. And what is mm, your Christmas movie you're going to want to watch in accompaniment to that beer? I'll, I can um, start us off because shit. I'm surprising you with yeah, this you, category. Yeah, give, give me a second to think about this. And my Christmas beer is, without a doubt, the West Mall Double. So West mm. Mall Trappist mm. Breweries. Their double, which is just an amazing beer. It's filled with raisins and dark fruit and malt and all sorts of stuff. It's it's a beer which stands up to any heavy Christmas uh, you know, food you can throw at it and then some. And the movie I'm lovely going choice. to be uh, watching while sipping on that lovely stuff is one of my favorite Christmas movies, which is Die Hard. <laughs> You mean everyone's favorite Christmas movie, you Hell yeah. old wanker, you? I know it's very unoriginal, but Dyer still delivers the goods for me. That's No, that's fair. That's fair. I can't, you can't disagree with Die Hard. Are you kidding me? Mm. It's like disagreeing with puppies. You can't. You can't. I disagree with love. <laughs> yeah, so not a very creative choice, I know, but I am no, no, embracing that's, that's, my that's lack of creativity. Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. You, you are not alone. I, I actually, in my group of friends, I know of... Four or five of them who uh, Die Hard is their absolute Christmas movie choice. Okay, cool. Um, oh God, I'm gonna have to get emotional here. Um, I am uh, my my beer, my Christmas beer will be the beer that I convinced my long-standing mass-market beer-drinking father to mm. drink, um, which he eventually learned to love very, yeah. very much. Um, and in honor of him, it would be the Jack Black Lumberjack if I could find it. Ah, uh, nice. That that would be my Christmas mm. beer. I would love to have that on the table um, for yeah. the duration of the Christmas holidays. And um, my my Christmas movie is a is a weird one because it's certainly not at Christmas or involving mm. Christmas. So it's or not really a Christmas movie Christmas. as such. No, not in the slightest. But um, my wife and I we came home from a, a a New Year's party a couple of years back, um, switched on the TV, and uh, this movie was on, and we were kind of drawn in and we had to watch the whole thing and then the next year we came home and we put it on and now we have to do it every year so our christmas movie is fight club the least christmas movie ever but uh, we now are absolutely obligated to watch it every christmas so, so interesting i mean yeah well it is it is a great movie possibly the greatest and i know that that sounds like a very mm. weird thing to say but fight club is in my opinion probably one of the greatest films ever made I, like, I, like it's in my top three. It's yeah, a, and, and always will be. Well, that's why we should do a show of our top ten movies of all time. 
um, to get there. Yeah, I forget that. Yeah, but that's a good one. I think those, you and I can certainly swap some uh, Christmas dinner tables. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, cool. So, uh, the final question, Marcel, what New Year's predictions, what will 2022 hold for us? I feel that there's an 87.5% chance that we are going to contact alien intelligence out there. Yes. Um, Yes. They're going to send us. A non zero number. They're going to send us the um, Encyclopedia Galactica, as Carl Sagan always said they would. And we're going to realize that we're ignorant fucks. Um, yeah, we'll finally work we out what all those neutron stars all over the place are doing. Yeah, I think that's my prediction. I mean, I, I'd like to see okay. that. I feel that humanity has not done such a good job uh, lately. We're, of, we're doing pretty badly. We're doing pretty badly. Well, you know, in the beginning of this pandemic, and this would be this will be my concluding statement (laughs) my closing argument here we go put a stamp um, in it Marcel is that you know at the beginning when this pandemic started Neil deGrasse Tyson who is the the torchbearer of Sagan obviously for so many reasons not least of which doing the the modern version of of, uh, Cosmos of Cosmos yeah um, said that this pandemic is going to be a test of whether human beings in the world are going to listen to science we're going to take science seriously, or are they going to move mm. away from it, reject it, and go back to some sort of medieval form of thinking? And, and I guess that has been um, answered. Yeah. And when I when I heard him say that, I saw it as like, yeah, no, totally, we're going to kick ass. We're going to we're going to show. Yeah, look at us, human race history that we have decided to go for science and listen to the uh, wisdom of experience. No. Nope. No. Nope. And so Not I in guess the fucking slightest. Grass, we're just going to be fucking assholes all the time. We're gonna we're gonna withdraw from our birthright of science and knowledge and go right back to the Middle Ages where we believed in demons and angels and other bullshit ideas. Um, and 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 that's where we are right now with with vac- yeah. vaccination rates being at welcome the to twenty twenty one. Yeah. So, so here's my predictions. Sure. Twenty twenty two. Please give it to me. So, so the first thing is, I think we're probably going to experience complete societal collapse. Right. In every sense. So all of the very word. positive stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, don't, oh, don't stop me now. I'm on a roll. Um, I think that we're probably going to see violent police states enforcing compliance mm. through heavily weaponized automatic drones. I think that's going to be. I'm a all big, about the automatic drones. Yeah, yeah, but but weaponized automatic drones. Hmm. You gotta you gotta keep no, that in mind. What's an automatic drone these, without weapons? I mean, it's nothing. No, you, these it's drones drug. are definitely going to murder you. Yeah, you know that's a that's a, a base point of this. Um, I think we're going to see mass killings, mass graves, forced migration, all on a global scale. Right. Um, but then worst of all, I mean, I mean, this is those things are all terrible. But I mean, I think worst of all is we're probably going to see season two of Temptation Island, South Africa, which. Yeah, we'll probably a put us in a tailspin that we'll never recover from. I ever. believe so. Despite my promise to the listeners that this is going to be a very optimistic, positive show, we've ended with doom, gloom, and clinical uh, yeah, depression. Look, I mean, I think the show was positive, but I mm. think anyone who thinks that things are going to get better is sorely fucking mistaken. Well, you know, that's it's, okay because there's one thing. If there's one thing which we can all count on, which will improve the situation, even if it's desperate, dire, and without hope. In the darkness of life and existential chaos, it will be beer. There will always be beer you have while you feel that the world's collapsing around you. It probably is. The building is burning and no one's paying attention. 
the horses leave the barn, and so on, there will always be beer. Merry Christmas, Marcel. Merry Christmas, Matt. And before we close, I'd just like to say thank you very much again to Pollinator for the music and the tunes which you've been listening to. Please go catch them on Bandcamp and other places. Go buy their album. Tell them that we sent you. Leave a five-star review on iTunes for the podcast. It does help us. Subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. And be kind to each other. Share a good beer with a friend or a family member or a loved one. Or even create a new loved one by doing so. Um, this has been a rough year. 2021. We're hoping for 2022 being slightly better. Let's try and uh, you know improve that curve with whatever we do. And we will catch you on the flip side with a brand new show in the early start of next year. Matt, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor serving with you. Peace um, out, Papa. Peace out.